ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and you're listening once again to Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good today, Parv. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, good, uh, good to be back again uh, on the mothership, as it were. Are you, yeah. looking, are you looking forward to this one, Chad? Yeah, I think this is... Uh kind of one of your iconic WCW pay-per-views for the uh, WCW kind of historians. So we will see today if it held up or if it didn't. Yeah, it's certainly in my mind when we started doing this show, Chad, this was one of the shows I was looking forward to getting to. Um, And uh, yeah, a lot to discuss. Do you you have anything to plug before we uh, head into uh, the show? Um, well, I mean, I think we can just do kind of our usual plugs. You have the uh, PWO PTBN feed. Seems like the Titans, y'all took like a month off, and now y'all dropped uh, three show, well, two shows in the Easter egg <laughs> in the past couple of weeks there. Uh, so y'all came back uh, fast and furious. Exile on uh, Bad Street, I think, has been uh, really critically acclaimed. Um that's yep. Chris Elner's new show. It's done three shows so far. Excellent show, yeah. And uh, all three have been just a lot of uh, outreach within the uh, interwebs. So that's been cool to see. Um, but yeah, so on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, at Big Boys Play WCW, but also there's another uh, Twitter account floating around um, <laughs> that you might want to discuss. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, in fact, I've forgotten about that. Uh, yeah, you can get hold of me now on at Jerry Von K. At Jerry Von K. And because I'm a really competitive chat, I want to get more followers than both the Titans and the Where the Big Boys Play. <laughs> well, it's going to be tough to the Titans because they just follow anybody that follows them. I'm a little more restrictive. Uh, but, uh... Well, at the minute, I've got. I'm over 40. So I'm I'm climbing up there. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Exile on Bad Street has been a big hit. Actually, uh, he's he's pretty much outdrawing us at this point, Chad. Which is, uh, you know, that's quite good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I I mean I think I think that brings a a very, I mean when we started this podcast and feed and stuff like that it was it was more of the historical slant we always knew that we wouldn't necessarily focus too much on the current product or really this show at all um and and the feed overall kind of carries a little bit of that uh reputation where it's an evergreen type feed where there's not a whole lot on the current stuff there still is a little bit mixed in so we don't sound like old fogies i think um you know kind of talking about the good old days and get off my lawn but uh but i but i think that shows a great addition 
Yeah, well, they do the reaction shows as well. I guess the the extreme uh, rules won't be up soon, right? Yeah, extreme rules should be up. Uh, probably if this drops the day we're recording, extreme rules will be up tomorrow morning, or it'll already be up when you listen to this. So either way. <laughs> Well, I can't wait for that one. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm also I'm also trying to get the Japan show back up. I had a, I've had a uh, kind of a weird personal couple of months part where I switched jobs and sort of been all over the place. I've been traveling a lot again, so how was the baby? I get back in the swing of things. Baby's doing good. That's actually been one of the more uh, oddly enough one of the more stabilizing factors in my life where. He's been able to sleep on a consistent schedule now, but between the uh, switching jobs, uh, traveling around, stuff like that, I, I went through one of those weird pockets the past like three weeks where I haven't watched any wrestling, um, which is kind of odd for me. I went about two weeks where I didn't watch a single match, and uh, in the past few days I've kind of been revitalized, so that's good to see. Yeah, it's good to go cold turkey once in a while. Um, I I blow hot and cold, as you know. Yeah. Early part of the month, uh, you know, I was doing various things, but now I've got back into it. I'm watching a lot uh, recently. (laughs) So um, that's good. Um, Shall we get into the Meltzers? Let's do the Yeah, let's go ahead. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra. Wrestling Observer Extra. With Dave Meltzer. Um, Okay, so February the 3rd. Um, and, uh, well, the Kip Alan Frey effect, Frey, Frey, <laughs> is, um, is, uh, starting to show because the house show business is up across the board. Most shows are in doing a kind of mid 20, uh, 20k mark. Um, that's two to three thousand people, which I guess compared to like Pete Crockett numbers isn't a lot, but compared to what they were doing in 91, uh, is actually up. Um, and that is most people are crediting that to uh, the Sting versus uh, Rick Rude headline feud uh, that has been doing good business around the horn. Um, what's interesting though, and uh, we did call this uh, a few weeks ago, is that um, Rude's got one of those limited date contracts, and if he's if he wrestles at the rate that they're currently booking him at, it's going to run out over the summer. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> so. Um, Looks set for, basically Rude's gonna is set to demand a big pay rise. Um, and you know what Rude is like, he is one of those guys who's kind of quite he's into the strong arm politics, like backstage. Right. So, um, they kind of pencil themselves into a corner there, it seems. Because, um, you know, d- d- he says basically Titan would make a big play for Rude if it came to it, uh, and you can see that in the current uh, kind of time frame. Um, other big name contracts running out. Um, before the summer include Brian Pillman, Ricky Steamboat um, although you can pretty much rule out uh, Steamboat going back to WF um, and poorly dangerously so basically a lot of their key players are you know have contract uh, kind of question marks right. uh, Paul Orndorff apparently interested in coming in as a heel now that Jim Hurd is gone um, any thoughts on Orndorff coming in? um yeah, I think. Well, I mean, we will be seeing him. Uh, I guess fairly, fairly soon. But um, and I kind of I'm, I've sort of reserved my thoughts for Orndorff. I 
don't have too fond memories of like Pretty Wonderful and stuff like that, but um, I think that may be something that when I go back and watch it may hold up better. Orndorff as a worker overall is somebody I've enjoyed better going back and watching the stuff than when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, my uh, my uh, early call here is that I think we'll be pleasantly surprised about. I mean, if nothing else, Orndorff is really intense during this run coming right. up. So he works. He works at a decent kind of uh, kind of level of intensity, I would say. Um, Fry is set for a meeting uh, with Jesse Ventura. Um, he wants to sign him to a multi-year deal because at the minute his current deal is just for an infomercial and uh, Super Brawl. So uh, I'm guessing that. That's crazy. I'm guessing this did get signed because uh, Jesse mentions it basically on air, doesn't he, during the show? Yeah. Uh, well, and we know. <laughs> right, right. Um, television tapings coming up. Uh, I won't go into all that. Um, yeah, so, oh yeah. Mike Graham is back on the road, Chad. But as an agent. He's coming in as an agent in February. So, Mike Graham, somebody who seemed like in constant employment by Crockett or WCW for... Like, he's always around, isn't he, Graham? Yeah, he seemingly always is able to secure... Uh, it feels like some type of job, justifiably yeah, or not. I, I, I want to say that he had something like from the Florida buyout that kind of ensured that he had some he had some sort of involvement. Um, and I guess he went back with Dusty. Um, so like he's the, he's like the Gorilla Monsoon of the. Uh... <laughs> well, kind of like a really low level, or I, I want to <laughs> say more like a kind of like a like a like a Jay Strongbow or something. There you go. Yeah, it's your boy <laughs> Strongbow. <laughs> Uh, Love them in there. Um, yes, um, Bruise Cruise uh, advertised uh, ended up 170 tickets sold on the Bruise Cruise. Chad, did we talk about that before? <laughs> I think we talked about it before. I think it's a cool sort concept. 170 tickets doesn't sound very good. Um, have you ever been on a cruise, Par? Yeah, I've been on a cruise. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's kind of tough to realize how many people are on the boat i know on the cruise that i went on they said there was like 2800 and it didn't feel like it but uh well wcw would have made money on that apparently except oh. they end up sending 40 of their own employees on the cruise as well which wow. ate up the entire profit margin <laughs> I'm, i mean i'm guessing this was just like there was probably a section of the cruise that was for the WCW people and then also regular. I bet you anything JYD went on that cruise. <laughs> oh, him at the buffet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or not, as the case may be, as we'll, yeah. as we'll see in a bit. Um, well, he looked like he was uh, an employee on the cruise based on his <laughs> outfit tonight. He so. did. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so El Giante, Um And this was in... I spent... This was one of those moments where I, uh, I just... Uh, you know, thought to myself, fuck my life, because I spent 20 minutes. <laughs> El Giante, right, um, made a contact meeting with, uh, they met, they went to this convention, okay, Bill Kazmaier, El Giante and Medusa went to the NATP convention in New Orleans full of TV executives, okay, which is why they weren't at the Clash. Now, Giante made a contact there, and there's a good shot he'll get reoccurring roles in James Bond replacing the late Richard Keel, uh, who was Jaws, of course. And if right. you think about it, he does look a bit like Jaws, uh, Al Giante. Like, you could see him in a role like that in James Bond. Um, 
so I, I did try to find out whether he got any roles in James Bond, but apparently I couldn't find any information about it at all. So clearly that never happened. <laughs> Wasn't Giante in one of those Hogan movies? He was in uh, Thunder in Paradise, I want to say. Okay. Like like the te- like the movie version of Thunder in Paradise. Right. Um. Okay. Um. I'm am guessing he was all. I haven't seen it, but I'm guessing he was awful. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. He's it. a guy like with no talent in any respect, like no acting talent. Basketball, wrestling, <laughs> acting. <laughs> like being big, that like being tall, that was his talent. Yeah, um, yeah. He was born big. Yeah. Um. Okay. So anyway, the house shows are up everywhere. That's the main news from uh, the February the third, February the tenth. Um, Milwaukee, a pay-per-view show, uh, Super Raw, which we're going to be watching tonight, did something like thirty grand in the first day. So it should be a sellout uh, for the Mecca Arena. So business looking good for for Super Brawl. Um, uh, it's just Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, and Junkyard Dog have all come into the uh, office for interviews. Um, so I, I don't know, like, were the office doing interviews at this time? Like, what's the, what's the, what's the, uh, what can you see an interview for WCW being like? Can you yeah. wrestle? <laughs> yes. Do you have a history of drawing shows? I, I mean, I didn't, like, what's Terry Gordy going to say in a job <laughs> interview, for God's sake? <laughs> um, I believe Dog will be brought back, which is one of those annual mistakes that every new regime does. He'll he'll supposedly uh, be down from three hundred and fifty pounds to two hundred and eighty, so at least he's in a bit better condition. But I can't see the purpose of bringing in a guy past his prime when you've got young guys that are more entertaining that could use the experience. Good idea bringing JYD back, Kurtra. Well, as we'll see with this uh, show, if you just watch this show, um, it's kind of I was kind of taken aback with the reaction JYD gets. Mm. Uh, but I don't think long term it's a smart move. Did Meltzer still call him junk food dog, or was uh, he, he over didn't. that? By now? He didn't. Oh, so uh, some maturing here. I'm I'm sure the the food. Well, I'm guessing because he's dropped basically like fifty pounds in weight. Yeah. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess he's like uh, he was on the he was on the salad. Um, he was on the salad cart on the cruise. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm actually a little surprised at this. I always thought Bill Watts was the guy who brought in Williams and Gordy, but apparently they were talking uh, to them there, so that's uh, something I didn't know. Yeah, they really feel like Watts, guys. Um, yeah, I didn't kind of recall that either. This this time period from uh, from her to Frey to Watts, it's just a little murky in my mind when yeah. actually Frey takes over. Like, I'm pretty... I'm confident when Watts is there you know by like the the tag tournament and then I know when Watts leaves before Super Brawl 3 but uh but when Frey actually transitions to Watts I'm a little murky about so we'll yeah, see they're already talking about pairing Gordy and Williams with the Steiners which it makes sense yeah that seems like a natural kind of mashup speculation is that Marty Janetti is going to be coming in with Shane Douglas um, that didn't happen. I'm take it. I take it. Uh, Marty Jannetty, no. Shane Douglas, we will see. We will see uh, soon. Yes. Yeah, Marty Jannetty. That's kind of an interesting what if. A little bit. If he could have. Well, my immediate uh, my immediate thought, Chad, is pair him with uh, Ricky Morton, the new rockers at uh, the new Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, 
I, I think you could have done that. I'm, I don't know when Morton was for sure leaving to go to Smoky Mountain. Um, but, but, I mean, I think with Janetti, I think me and you both part going through the AWA set. We we thought the Rockers were really good on that yeah. set, mm-hmm. but I also think the notion that people it seems to be cooling a little bit, but. I know a few years ago, or kind of when I first started getting on the internet, when you heard about like "Can't Miss Stars," it yeah. was it was like Marty Jannetty that just sort of blew his chance through drugs or whatever. Um, and I, I don't I don't know if I ever see that. I mean, could he have been a TV title U.S. champion level? Maybe, perhaps, but I certainly don't see him as like a main eventer. No, I don't, I, I don't see it uh, personally, Chad, either. Um, and uh, in fact, that was interesting uh, that Janetti is mentioned here because I noticed earlier in this newsletter, um, Meltzer reports uh, about Money Inc. forming, about uh, DBRC tagging with IRS. Now, apparently, the, ta- the plan was for DBRC to tag with Shawn Michaels. Did you know about that? I did not. Yeah, apparently, that was, the lo- that was like a lock plan for, wow. for, for, for weeks. Wow. That would have been your two favorite wrestlers of all time tagging up there. <laughs> Can you imagine that tag team in 1992? They would have been pretty cool, I reckon. I, I think I'd probably prefer that over Money Inc., <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, if you think about it, Sherry was managing them both, I guess. for a very- Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they kind of had a little bit of a union there with Sherry as the tie. Yeah. Um... I guess as uh, as Sherry uh, guys go, DBRC is your least, isn't he? Like, um, uh, as far as Sherry influence him, as 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 far as who went best with Sherry? Yeah, D, uh, that well, DBRC after the Virgil feud, and even during the Virgil feud, like it didn't seem like like so. I mean, you think about Sherry as a manager, and she's such an active kind of manager. Like, yeah. even from this time frame, like, I can still remember her outfit from SummerSlam 92. I still can kind of remember her in these different instances. But, like, I can't remember if she was out there for SummerSlam 91, DBLC versus Virgil or not. I have no idea. So She, she does uh, have uh, one of the most annoying Coliseum home video segments of all time. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen that one, Chad, where she's got the cam? She's got the mic on? I don't think so. Oh, Jesus. She's got the mic, She's got a microphone hooked up, so you can hear everything she says during a match. And she's literally screeching, Teddy, Oh, Teddy, yeah, that's... Teddy, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> it's like, it's hell. It's on, like, Super Tape 92 or something, in one of those, like, Mooney videos that I like. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's... Let's move on. Um, they're going to be um, bringing back color commentators on all shows now um, because it's no uh, secret they want Jim Cornette back to do WCW. Um, so Cornette's obviously gone at this time. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know why they thought that was going to happen. I mean, what? What's the date on this? This is February the tenth. So I think the pilot of Smoky Mountain was either. Uh, had was just airing or was going to air uh, very soon, so I, I I would think that was kind of like a done deal. So, so basically, um, they had a weird little situation uh, at, at the minute because um, they had the studio show, obviously WCW, 
and they had the Worldwide, which is on syndication. Right. And the Worldwide ratings were way down at this time. So th- the idea was is that they were going to have Ventura and pair him with Tony on Worldwide and then bring somebody else back to do WCW with Jim Ross. Um, it, now, mm. Meltzer says here, it's funny, but probably the best guy that they could put in the role if they want Ventura for syndication has went under their noses and worked in a job role on syndicated tapings. He's talking about Scotty the Body. Isn't that Raven? Yes. <laughs> what do you think about that? Do you agree with that that's the best, the best guy they could have put uh, on it, it seems like... Well, it always seems like Raven... I don't know how already he kind of had this uh, reputation as this great talker. I mean, I've seen a little bit of his Portland stuff, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe he was kind of booking around there. But... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he'd get a chance pretty soon as Johnny Polo, so... There's no chance Meltzer's being sarcastic there? I don't think so, because it it does seem like he was always sort of destined to be put into these color commentary roles. I mean, when he goes to WWF as Johnny Polo, he's almost immediately in the booth for All-American or whatever. Would you have put anyone else in the booth if you had to pick a color commentator? I don't know who was available. Uh, I mean, I like Tracy Smothers on commentary, <laughs> but... Larry Zabisco? Yeah, Zabisco, I too, think. Too early for him, maybe? Yeah, I think a little too early, um, but he's doing commentary fairly soon. Dusty? Um, yeah, I mean, why not Dusty? I don't know. I, I, th- I think they got enough regular commentators, though. I, I don't... I mean, I don't see the notion why you had to have a color commentary uh, commentator besides Jesse. Yeah. I mean, if you got Jesse, that's fine. And then I'd do one of the shows kind of with Ross and Shivani. That'd give a good contrast. Or, or Russell or Soli or any of the yeah, other I mean, guys I mean, they've got. You, got. you got plenty of guys that I don't think... Yeah, they're not going to be your traditional color commentators cheering for the heels, but that's what Jesse's for. So the other shows could provide a contrast to that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, anything else? Uh, referee Randy Anderson is uh, sporting a broken hand courtesy of somebody's face. <laughs> um, we don't know who. Doesn't say who. Um Ron West has been rehired as an event coordinator. This is really low-level news from Elsa here. Yeah, this doesn't sound like a whole lot's going on here. Um, there are negotiations are going on to use Lawrence Taylor for a gimmick at the next card at the Meadowlands. So there we are. Uh, so it, LT involved with wrestling even back in '92. Uh, it's funny. It's funny how we've seen uh, like those guys like in talks because it wasn't there talk talk of like Tyson being involved uh, last year at some point. Well, Tyson was supposed to. That was back in 1990 where Tyson yeah. was. They uh, announced that the heavyweight champion was going to be at the Saturday, the uh, main event between Hulk and uh, Macho in February 1990, and that was right when Tyson got upset by Buster Douglas, so it ended up being Buster Douglas. But LT also, I mean, he, LT did that um, football match last year in the Meadowlands. I think right. that was uh, late January, early February. It, so. It's just it's just interesting that it's always got like it's never like um, it's guys who do, do go on to have like 
contact with the wrestling industry. It's never like, it's never like, um, you know, they're going to bring in, I don't know, like, you know, Uncle uh, Uncle Phil from <laughs> um, <laughs> Uncle Phil. That's a completely random one, but you know, John like, Stamos isn't being uh, talked about for a run at. Uh... WCW. But, do you know what I mean? It's always like guys who actually go on to have some yeah, involvement well, with Yeah, well, I think it's guys that naturally kind of have a little interest, too. Yeah. I mean, Tyson seemingly always enjoyed wrestling LT, too. So, And they certainly weren't opposed to uh, making an extra buck by being associated with wrestling. So anyway, uh, it's February the 17th. Um, lots of news regarding newscomer, newcomers and contract dealings. Uh, much talked about negotiations between Fry and uh, Ventura. Um, haven't resulted in a deal at press time, uh, but they will. Missy Hyatt agreed a new two-year contract. Whoopie doesn't, doesn't the Ventura... I mean, I, I, I can see how WCW want him, and we talked about this last time, but... I mean, don't you think WCW should have been... That's kind of one of them interesting contracts where I guess Ventura doesn't have to do it, but I I, I feel like WCW had some leverage, too, because, I mean, where else is he going to go? Well, I think the idea is is that he's going to pop this in... Like, they really want him to do World with Tony, and that he's going to pop a TV rating. Yeah, I think they very um, were counting on him to be a draw. Uh, for the syndication, but that that seems like one of your more interesting, I guess, contract negotiations. Where I, I mean, I guess Ventura didn't need money and didn't have to become an announcer. But on the other hand, it's also not like he could really go anywhere else. I mean, at this point, he wasn't going back to the WWF. So yeah, where else is he going? So I, I think WCW. It feels like a really ultimate game of chicken between them two. And that's that's kind of the same. Like, I know you mentioned Rick Rude, too. Like, Titan would be very interested in him. Well, I mean, Titan just got rid of him. Um, yeah. And they'd, they'd have brought the steroid him stuff. They'd have, they'd have brought him back, though, if you think about You think about even the at the heat of the steroids? I mean, I don't... Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't know. But I would, I would guess with Rude's physique, it was... Well, do you... I mean, do you see Rude as, like... So, like, because he's got he's lean, isn't he? Like, so he doesn't look kind of like as roided up as like well, as somebody will see. Well, yeah, yeah, like I mean, bulldog and warrior, but still. But, but also think about they brought Luger in. Sure, yeah, so, that's true. They did bring him right in. Why does this stuff was heating up? So, yeah, maybe so. It just feels like I mean, Rude was completely. I, I mean, I, I feel like he was certainly revitalized in WCW in this run. Like, I mean, in WWF, he was paired with the Warrior and kind of DOA after that feud cooled off. So It's fascinating to think what they would have done. Did they ever run Hogan Rude as a feud? I think they did a few. I know that was... Uh, Probably like MSG cards or whatever. Yeah, I'm going to look that up because I know that was uh, discussed, I think, on a PWO a couple of years ago because that feels like a few that would have happened, but I don't, I don't, I know it didn't extensively, but I'm just going to pull up like 88 and 89 and see if they ever did a singles match while you continue. 
I think that's an interesting, like, fantasy booking thing. Rude, kind of, back in WCWF around this time frame. He would have had decent, um, I can imagine, a few with Bret Hart. Uh, Roddy Piper was around. That's a that's a few that, uh, obviously, they'd already run uh, Rude versus Piper, but that's a natural enemy for him. Um, uh, perfect when he turns babyface. Rude, Here's- perfect. Uh, one of the first shows I found uh, Hogan versus Rude in January of 1988 so that was one instance there so it, it definitely was run um, just not very regularly I see another one it looks like kind of right when he first came in oddly enough so. probably probably that was a Heenan family deal yeah yeah Heenan was with him um, also looks like Hogan was kind of paired up with one man gang heading into Wrestlemania 4 because uh, Andre wasn't working a lot of the house shows uh, still hanging out with Ted so that type of stuff going on can you, can you see Rude Perfect being quite a decent feud in 93 uh, Rude versus Perfect. Yeah, that would have been good in '93. Um, yeah, versus Sean. I, I think if Rude would have came in as a heel in '93, I mean him versus Brett too, um, and as that you could have done that for sure at like Royal Rumble '93 instead of Razor. Mm. So, so I think there's options. Yeah, that's true. I guess Rude versus Backlund. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> even when Razor turned face, him versus Rude would have been fun. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't see Rude as anything but a heel for that run. But you still get him versus, like I said, Brett. You get him versus Razor. Uh, you, there's there's a lot going on. Could him versus Savage kind of as a callback. Him versus Lex is natural. Right. Yeah. Right. So, anyway, um, that could have been like a battle of the bodies, couldn't it? The Rude Let. Did, did they ever run Luger versus Rude? <sighs> when were they ever kind of in the same place? Probably just this card, right? Yeah, I don't think, yeah. I mean, because Luger was a heel by the time Rude came in into uh, WCW. Um, and I don't think there was any crossover like in Florida when Rude, uh, when Luger was just starting up. Uh, so unless like raging and ravishing faced the horseman in some weird situation, I don't think they ever would have faced off. Medusa's out with the hernia operation um, for a while. Um, so that's uh, there's some talk of bringing in Teddy Long uh, as a color, color commentator. Teddy Long is still under contract, by the way. He's just not doing anything. Do you know that? Yeah, talk about somebody that kind of kept a job. Teddy Long. He was doing nothing, though. He was just sitting at home, just getting paid, by the look of things. When did Doom split up? Ages ago. Yeah. I mean, they, they split. I mean, their match Start was at... Start 91? Yeah, I mean, their match was at... Uh, they split at Wrestle War 91. Long had an easy year in 1991, didn't he? Yeah, the cage was at Super Brawl. So since May, essentially, he's been hanging out. I'd have made him a referee. I don't like Teddy Long. I just don't think he's he's that good. Yeah. What was he, like SmackDown GM or something? Yeah, for about 10 years (laughs) coming up. But that was after he started. I mean, he started at WWF as a referee, too. Yeah. I think that's his best role. (laughs) (laughs) And even then, he's... 
probably like wouldn't make my top ten refs. Yeah, uh, he, I, yeah, I think he's okay as like a babyface GM, but that's not a role I'm too fond of on the surface level. So, Ventura, uh, Jesse Ventura has caused a minor uproar on the Cody Bynes radio show on WALE in Providence two weeks back when the town of uh, Fall River, Massachusetts, was brought up. And Ventura said it was one of the only places he'd ever been that was worse than Vietnam, which upset the mayor of Fall River, (laughs) um, who found out about it during the week. So Ventura causing beef in the mayoral world there. (laughs) wonder if uh, Justin was listening in up in his neck of the woods. (laughs) Has he been to Fall River? Well, uh, Providence, that's right around where he lives, yeah. Uh, Algiante has returned home to Argentina because of his mother's funeral. <laughs> uh, you know. God, he, he's another guy who gets paid. Like, what the hell's he been doing? <laughs> like, we never see, like, what's he getting paid to do at the minute? Like, you know, talk to TV execs and go home? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He, he is someone that kind of perpetually. Got chances. I mean, we went through that. He got so many chances and kind of undeservedly so. Uh, Mr. Hughes, who has been suspended, um, had the suspension lifted because WCW couldn't substantiate the charges against him. So there we go. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure what the charges were there. Um, th- by the way, there's a lot of stuff about steroids uh, in all of these newsletters. And uh, I'm moving on to February the 24th. And um, so, obviously, the uh, WF have been in the media a lot. Um, But WCW has also had a bit of negative media publicity this past week. Uh, This past week in Atlanta, um, WSB-TV, Channel 2. One of your favorite channels, Chad, that one? Well, that's our... uh that is our a- a- ABC affiliate, and that's still that's still a channel today. Did they still um, run. Yeah, of the local channels, WSB is the biggest one in Atlanta. Well, they they ran a six minute documentary alleging racial discrimination in World Championship Wrestling. WBS put its top investigative reporter on the piece and talked about a complaint filed with the EEOC from a former WCW wrestler charging racial discrimination doesn't say who the wrestler was I'm my money is on um, uh, what's his name our favourite Chad <laughs> Ranger Ross <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Ranger Ross is behind this <laughs> this is my theory um, the piece claimed that the average black wrestler under contract WCW earned 104 uh, grand per year while the average white wrestler earned 205 grand Actually, do you think it was Butch? Do you think it was Butch Reed? Yeah, that that's not a bad bet. That could have been. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't JYD, was it? No. Uh, yeah, so he had no problem coming back. I, he I got over think, his pride very easily. I can only think it could Butch Reed doing his rodeo stuff at this time, or Ranger Ross. Those are the only two guys I can think of who it, who it might have been. Uh, who would have, like, cared at this point. Um, I mean, Thunderbolt Patterson's the other name, but, like, when did he ever work for WCW? Right. Yeah, well, he always seemed to have a, uh, 
a beef, I guess. I always felt kind of screwed. I don't know. I, I, that's something I'd like to dig in more, whether he had a legitimate claim or not. Ooh, ooh, th- 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 there's another guy, uh, older Brad's uh, favorite. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Rocky King. Do you remember he had the little uh, one? With, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Could be Rocky King. That's another yeah. candidate here. Uh, theories on a postcard. <laughs> I can uh, anyway. Meltzer says he can almost uh, certainly dispute those numbers, because the only black wrestlers I know of who are currently under contract are Ron Simmons, and his contract is right at about 200k, and Mr. Hughes, who is somewhere between 78k and 104k. Um, anyway, they showed a tape of Johnny B. Bad and pointed out that he and PN News are white men who are pretending to be black men. <laughs> um, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hughes was interviewed and said that he didn't feel he was being discriminated against and said that he was happy. Because of EEOC and uh, NAACP pressure being put on a few ex-black wrestlers that have worked for WCW, although nobody will admit it, that pressure is probably why WCW is bringing back JYD and putting Teddy Long in a new position as color commentator uh, of, the, of the syndicated main event show with Eric Bischoff which uh, runs in very few markets, but will be the only WCW syndicated show that airs in Atlanta, where all of the heat is. Any any views on any of this, uh, Chad? Do you think uh, there's anything to this? Uh, uh, you know, it discriminates against black wrestlers? I don't... I mean, I don't recall that... Um... Yeah, I don't refer... I mean, I, I think it's certainly easy to look at the landscape of wrestling through most of its past and you can see uh, you know you can certainly see some discrimination going on Um, I think that was what happened at times but uh, to play devil's advocate a bit from that I don't know if there's anyone save for like a Butch Reed and a Ron Simmons who is getting a push I mean, I mean, who else was uh, out there? I guess would be the best phrasing of that um, to kind of be to be positioned in that role. Uh, I mean, PN News uh, failed, and apparently uh, wasn't black. Joe. Apparently was not black either. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying to think of who was out there. Um, and then that can be, you know, I mean, you can that that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in itself. Where of course there's not anybody out there because it's an industry that's closed off, or there's no opportunity for uh, minority characters in this industry. But I, I still say. It, 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 it does seem like through history, like you have like your Sailor Art Thomases and other names yeah. in history that were sure. successful, right? Um, so it's kind of just you have to be the right person and the right uh, Ernie, right, Ernie Lad, Ernie Lad too. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, and 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 I think it's fair to say that if you're like somebody like a Rocky King stature. It was very tough where you're never going to be a main eventer. You're just, I mean, the best you can hope for is to be classified as like a utility good hand. Um, it's a, That's a very interesting, um, that's a, that's definitely an issue I'd like to dwell into. From, from um, where I'm looking, Chad, I have to say, though, um, it, if you look at the two companies and how they treat their 
black talent, as it were, in terms of like how they package them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly think the WF is much more guilty of like you know Coco Beware the Birdman, you know the all singing all dancing black guy. Right, or, the natural butchery where the, he the, didn't the, do hardly nothing. The, the Tony Atlas run. Uh, you know when he comes back as uh, when does when did that happen? Saba Simba, that was in nineteen ninety. Saba Simba, you know, I mean, if if like t- to me, the WF have always just been like way more like overtly racist with their gimmicks and things. Right. Uh, yeah. In my view, like I mean, even like SD Jones, you know, if you think about SD Jones's character, he's basically like a fun-loving guy. You know, it's just like. I, I don't know. I did like in my in my mind of the two companies, they they're the ones who seem more kind of like hell bent on packaging a black guy as in term like to me Ron Simp like the way that they presented Ron Simmons mm-hmm. hasn't really been kind of racially inflected in any way. He's just like a guy who used to be a football athlete. Yeah, I think they've presented him as an all-American athlete. Um, fine, I've been fine with that. So, so anyway, that's possibly what one reason why we're seeing JYD is because they were taking heat from uh, from the local Atlanta market for being racist. I, I actually reckon Rocky King is not a bad shout for that um, because uh, I guess he was put in a really, really shitty role. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if Zellner knows. That seems like something he would know just based on it, the time frame and it being Atlanta. So we'll probably have that answered for us in thread. Yeah, let's uh, let's shoot a message to Zelna. Okay. Okay. Um, the the other bit of news is that um, Kip, Kip Fry has uh, uh, come up with a new steroid policy. Um, you know, all uh, steroid uh, substances uh, are to be banned, basically. Um, more on that next week because uh, they've actually got the full policy, which <laughs> I will uh, I'll I'll go through uh, in a second. Okay. Um, other news, uh, lots of uh, news regarding personnel. Uh, Dustin Rhodes, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman have all signed new t- two-year contracts. I think that's a good bit of business for the mid-card there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or the upper mid-card, I should say. Right. Uh, these new contracts have base salary plus in- incentives. Um, both Rhodes and Austin signed for bases of 165k and 190k. Wow. Uh, with, in- with incentives uh, that will push that total up from there. Pillman has been heavily pursued by the WWF, which is apparently looking at raiding back in the opposite direction. Uh, Ventura hasn't signed his contract yet, but, <laughs> but apparently has agreed um, uh, terms midweek for a two-year deal to co-host Worldwide, and is uh, scheduled to start around the 1st of March. He'll also no doubt continue to host all the pay-per-view and Clash programs, so there you go. I didn't actually know that Ventura's deal was exclusively to Worldwide. I, I just... Like, it's weird to think that, isn't it? That he's contracted to the TV show rather than to the, just the, to the company. Yeah, and I don't know when that changes because he certainly does Saturday night. Um, I don't know. Maybe that just was something that they... Uh, but I, I certainly to... remember him on Worldwide because I used to watch Yeah, him. oh yeah, he's on Worldwide too, but I know... I, I'm trying to think of 92 Saturday nights where I know he's on. I mean, I know for sure he's on by April of 93 with the Cactus Jack thing with Vader. Is, is Saturday night Jim, like Saturday night's Jim Ross and Worldwide Giovanni, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I, I don't know when, uh, what, whether that was a change in negotiation or what. 
Gordy and Williams haven't signed the contract yet, but are close to, um, at, at least in a part-time deal between their Japanese tours. Right. Uh, Johnny B. Bad back on a one-year deal, 156k. It's interesting that we've got all of the figures here. This is quite new for Meltzer. You didn't used to give all of the, the like the numbers, right? That seems yeah. It doesn't seem like it. And that seems like really good money across the board. Um, I mean, you got to think somebody like Austin who just started. When I mean Dustin too, but Dustin had the pedigree of his dad, but. I mean, somebody like Austin, who started really three years ago, um, to now be making $190,000, that's pretty good. It's not... Plus bonuses? Yeah, I mean, Austin is someone that... It's it's a very interesting Austin's career because certainly I mean of course he struggled uh, at the end of his WCW run and when he went into the WWF nobody ever thought he was the star you know he would become but on the flip side of that he's just really someone that never I guess necessarily had to pay a lot of dues kind of in the traditional sense. Uh, because he did have the feud with Adams in USWA Texas, which was a high-profile feud. I, I doubt he was making a ton of money there, but that was really the first year and a half of his career. And then he was in WCW, and like we just said, he signed a really good deal very quickly. So uh, that's kind of interesting to think about. Um, did you know Greg Valentine had come in? Did I mention that at some point? I uh, have no memory of Greg Valentine coming in. I know he was... Uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but yeah, he's here, and he will be on a couple of our shows coming up. Well, him and Terry Taylor have just won the U.S. Tech titles. Right, from, right. They, uh, can, you, can you guess from who? I think it was um, the Patriots, right? <laughs> Ron Simmons and Big Josh. Oh, God. Well, who... <laughs> Well, now the Patriots did have it, so did they lose it to them in a face versus face? They must have done. I, I gotta look this up now. <laughs> I gotta look at this lineage. Dick Slater will not be coming in uh, since he was originally going to be brought in to team with Valentine. So they've paired Valentine and uh, Taylor. So oh, think- okay, so Young Pistols be champion and chip. Right, and then Big Josh and Ron Simmons beat uh, the Young Pistols. That aired on February sixteenth, and actually, the day of this show is when Valentine and Taylor won the titles from Josh and Simmons. Right, so, so it's February the seventeenth. Uh, well, it aired. It, they taped it February seventeenth, but it didn't air till February 29th, the actual day of the show. So right, okay, yeah, weird how they used to do stuff like that. Right, um, yeah, okay. So they were hot shot in the U.S. tag titles, quite. Yeah, right yeah, <laughs> and then and you'll love who wins it from them. I think I know. <laughs> Let's see. Tom Zenk and Marcus Bagwell formed an underneath tag team. PR chief Barry Norman was fired. For UK listeners, that's not Barry Norman, the film critic uh, from uh, from the old film show. Um, expect major changes in format and contact uh, content for the WCW Saturday Night Show. Uh, we know what those are going to be. Right. Michael Hayes won't be doing any color commentary. Because they don't want to use anyone involved in angles on commentary. And the Freebirds will be getting an angle around April. Michael Hayes would have been probably the best option, actually. 
I forgot he was there. For a commentary. Yeah, yeah. it's a colour. Yeah, sure. Excellent, excellent colour commentator. Yeah. Nope. Expect Magnum TA to do colour along with Teddy Long, as there will be uh, colour commentators on every show. So, um, okay. Uh, so there we go. Um, there's a new policy of posting signs in front of are- arenas regarding no-shows and making announcements, uh, and they're going to be starting that this week. Um, Kip Fry is just all over the shop making policies, isn't he? You can definitely see, like, you, you see this not just in wrestling, but in every walk of life where the new big executive comes in and he wants to hit the ground running. So right. it's like, you know, he's making policies and new, like, he, he's reinventing the wheel all over the place. Um, but actually, most of his decisions seem quite good to me. Like, WCW have always been bad at the no-show business, haven't they? So, um... So there we go, and they, and they've actually started offering refunds now, which we we know WF have been doing since like the mid '80s. So um, very good. Gordon Soley, and sad news now, uh, Chad. Gordon Soley has been taken off the WNN segment and replaced with Eric Mannequin Bischoff. Wow. <laughs> Soley's only role left is doing localized promos for law, for Florida that's, City. That's like that's like Mooney replacing Gene in the uh, control center there. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, the us and that particular segment go back a long way. <laughs> <laughs> One of the uh, where the big boy plays staple uh, back in the early days. <laughs> um, okay. Um, well, I still got that comp somewhere, so probably uh, I could I could have gone and did, dug up his last his viewing. last one where he gave a yeah tearful farewell or not. I wonder how long Melter sticks with this Eric Mannequin Bischoff business. Oh, that that's the Melzer. Yeah, Mannequin. He, the Mannequin, yeah, because he thinks the Bischoff looks like a doll. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so um, almost there. March the 2nd uh, now, and uh, here is Executive VP Kip Fry's major policies. Okay, I won't read all of them, because there are absolutely loads of them, but we have the full uh, the full thing about anabolic steroids here. Uh, wrestlers may not, under any circumstances, use anabolic steroids, growth hormones, related substances, or masking agents designed to hide the presence of steroids or related substances in a wrestler's system. Bookers, trainers, or other wrestling personnel may not condone, encourage, supply, or otherwise facilitate in any way the use of steroids or any related substance. Uh, WCW physicians may not prescribe them. Uh, All WCW personnel, including wrestlers, are subject to discipline by the executive vice president for violation uh, of any of these uh, of any of these rules. Um, There's going to be an advisory committee. there's going to be also there's going to be a medical advisor who has to um, <laughs> consult on steroid-related uh, matters. <laughs> the WCW booker will be required to maintain a policy of promoting wrestlers based on ability and fan acceptance, not merely size. <laughs> All booking decisions will be reviewed periodically by the executive vice president to ensure compliance with this directive. What do you think of that one? Yeah, that seems a little too hands-on there. Um... To me, that seems kind of like a, a Jerry Jones, Dallas Cowboy type situation bar. Where, uh, right. Two hands on. Yeah, think. two two hands on, I would say there. 
and uh, I just love the idea of uh, Dusty being sent directives like this. Yeah, yeah, Dusty being told by Kip Allen Frey that uh, Fry that um, I don't know that somebody needs to be pushed better or whatever, Steve Armstrong or whoever. Kinda. Did you happen to hear the um, Stephen Regal uh, interview with uh, uh, I think it was Jericho? Recently? No, I didn't. didn't. <laughs> There's one of the funniest Dusty stories ever I've heard of there, where where he, where uh, Regal goes in. Sees um sees like on his first day in WCW sees Dusty sitting there naked with um Doug Dillinger, <laughs> and all Dusty all Dusty does is turn to him and he says, "I've got my own personal bodyguard." Such a <laughs> su- surreal moment. <laughs> I just it's a real nice insight into what Dusty's like as a man. <laughs> so fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, this goes on and on and on. It's pages of this. Um, so clearly, like somebody sent Mel to the actual document here for him to have all of it. Who um, would think that was Ross? Yeah. Yeah. Every time, every time. Like in my mind, it's always Ross. <laughs> it was Ross until proven otherwise. And and uh, unless Cornette's around, in which case it's yeah, on him right. as well. Yeah, he's always a candidate. Um. So, um, d- g- now, Gordy and Williams have officially signed, but won't be around until May, because they're uh, working in Japan, of course. Tokyo Egg Dome Show will air as a mini pay-per-view, um, so I'm guessing we're going to be watching that one soon, Dad. Yeah, I think that'd be our next show, chronologically. Um, that's actually a show that's not on the network, and now that I have the network, I kind of purged my listing of the stuff that... Uh, I was watching for these shows, so we may have to do a little hunting for that one. But yeah, that'll Don't be next. Don't worry about it, Chad. I've got it. All right, there we go. <laughs> Man with the plan. Uh, Big Van Vader is negotiating a deal to come in um, for two years. He'd work between Japanese tours. Brian Pillman uh, will be off until the pay per view because of a back injury. Wow, I didn't know he had a back injury. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, that's that's amazing. If uh, if that's the case. I guess now to think about it, I don't recall him working any in early 92, but yeah, considering the match they're about to have. WCW are going to lower prices across the board at all arenas in an attempt to bring in new customers. The top seats everywhere will be $12. Wow. And $10, with a low GA price anywhere from 5 to $7, depending upon the market. Can you can you imagine being a fan around this time? You could have gone to see shows with these guys on it for ten dollars. Yeah, I'm gonna see what five dollars. Whether we can have an inflation uh, calculator here. <laughs> okay, um, so the accountant is off doing that. Um, the Jesse Ventura is scheduled for many mainstream media appearances before you read this, including a CNBC cable talk show. Larry King's radio show. Uh, there should be mention in the gossip column of USA Today. An attempt to get uh, Ventura on the Senior Hall show fell through uh, for reasons that you can probably imagine. Um, I think there's Ventura's value right there, Chad. He's a guy who could go on Larry King, he can go on USA Today, he can go on CNBC. Like, who else is going to get those kind of mainstream appearances? Right. Yeah, I wouldn't thank anybody else. Eight dollars and seventy-seven cents. So that's still five dollars. Yeah, so that's still a a deal for sure. 
pretty good value, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, nine bucks to see a wrestling. I mean, you know, Ring of Honor general admission these days is twenty bucks. So there was a disastrous show at the Reunion Arena. Where's that? That's in uh, Dallas. That's in Texas. So uh, that's not a surprise. Texas was still dead. Um, 780 fans. Yeah, I mean, Texas was dead until 1998 when WWF got hot again. Not a very good show. Uh, Richard Morton pinned Mike Graham on that show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, among, among other things. Um, so there we go. However, Fort Hood, uh, Fort Hood drew a sellout. So the same crew. So there we are. Um, so there it is. Um, we're pretty much there chad that's uh, that's it for the melters some kind of this was sort of a i guess this was a, a batch of melters of uh, fry kind of gaining his bearings but there didn't seem to be a lot going on i guess mainly the contract yeah. stuff yeah i mean i mean business is slowly but steady kind of ticking up a little bit you got the contracts but I don't know. There, there wasn't any. I guess overall, huge scandals. Maybe the harassment thing, but yeah. Well, I think a lot. Like, if you can imagine the landscape at the minute, WF are under just massive heat all the time right. for the steroids deal. Yeah. And WCW are just kind of damage limitation. You know, trying to get their guys under contract. I still think whoever works in HR at WCW at this time just needed to be fired, basically, because. Their contract stuff is appalling. That and and I mean, yeah, you. This really feels like an opportunity for them. I mean, watching the product, this feels like a chance. Because uh, yeah, yeah, WWF had the steroids. You had the Hogan stuff going on. Um, just a lot going on. Yeah, and the, the tone of the Mel- the tone of Meltzer during a lot of these newsletters is that like. WWF is under serious risk of going under, basically. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the thing with like '92, and that's something when I watch the year as a whole, I'm looking forward to because because I, I fully expect from from like a yearbook quality, '92 will probably worldwide be one of the best years I watch in the '90s. Um, I, I I've kind of pegged it as thinking it may have a shot either at number one or at least kind of top three. I don't think it'll beat '97. Uh, 97's really good worldwide but uh, it, I mean it has a shot because worldwide the quality in ring was uh, All Japan had a great year Yeah, All Japan great year, New Japan had a great year uh, Joshi was really kind of ratcheting up uh, there's some great stuff from Lucha with El Dandy versus Negro Casas um, so, so something I'm looking forward to seeing if the, like, the business side affects it because I'm, I'm watching 93 right now and I'm into June, and we've started some of the uh, WCW stuff with the Lost in Cleveland skits, and and it does affect it. But I will say, still, like '93 for in-ring quality is still uh, probably right now it's my number two year from the '90s behind '97. Um, so it hasn't affected it overall. It may, as we get worse into the fall with that and the All-American Lex Express stuff. But as of right now, I've still been able to kind of look past that. Um, I should mention that there's an All Japan women's match that Meltzer puts over huge uh, in in this in the, this newsletter that he uh, that he reviews the show on. Uh, he's like. Um, because obviously Meltzer really likes uh, the opener, um, which I'm, which we're about to get to. But 
he's like, there's no way it's going to beat for him this All Japan Women's match between, um, I want to say Toyota and let me see uh, what the Six other. Six A. I don't even know which one he's talking about because the the most hyped All Japan Women's match will not happen till uh, November of '92. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out which one it is now. I, I know. Uh, I know. Toyota is one of the two workers. I I saw it in passing when I was just reading through this earlier. Uh, I'll have to get back to that because I, I I can't. Oh yeah, this it is. Suzuki Minami versus uh, Minami Toyota match I saw on All Japan Women Show. Oh, sorry. Hold on. March of ninety one. Oh, okay. About. Okay. Yeah, he he's basically saying that um that that. Uh, opener is not as good as that match. Have you seen that one? Man, that's very odd. Yeah, I've seen that match. I don't stand out to you at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a decent match, but nothing that I really remembered as overly memorable. Uh, it didn't make my top 100 of 91. Oh. I just did a check. He also said it's not close to Jumbo versus Masawa, which is a match I am not a big fan of, uh, as you know. Right, right. <laughs> well, Jumbo versus Masawa, you like? Jumbo versus Masawa? Yeah. No, no, he, he. Oh, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, he is. He's talking about the 1990 match. Yeah, no, I do like that match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, it, it, he's. I'm, I'm guessing he's talking about the one that he, um, gate went to. Which is the six eight? Yeah, no, the the, the, the Budokan Hall. Yeah, so uh, that yeah. well, oh, that's a gr- the one he gets the upset on. So that's that's, that's a great match, a five star match. Well, well, you got it. Well, you got that one at four and three quarters, but the rematch is the one you have at five stars. And right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah. but either either way, both of those are all time classics to me. Um, yeah. So. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, that is what I was getting confused with the jumbo Kawada. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, yeah, let's uh, take a break, Chad. And when we come back, we will look at the uh, show. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of the Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation, PlaceToBeNation.com. The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Me Nation is Justin Rosero here. In addition to the Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes at placetomenation.com. You can check out myself as Scott Criscolo on the Mothership, the Place to Be podcast, home of great interviews, our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews, and WWE Network Live watches. If you need your fix of current wrestling talk, we have plenty of options for you, including the main event featuring a roundtable discussion led by PTBN analysts and special guests, WrestleChat.net, Still Real Tales podcast with Jeff Peck, and Wrestling with Optimism, which focuses on what we should be excited about in the world of wrestling today. Also, be sure to relive wrestling's past with Graham Cawthon's excellent exclusive History of Wrestling podcast. Sports fans have plenty to dive into as well. We feature The Extra Point with Scott Criscolo and Dr. G, as well as the twice-weekly Bauer Show, The Kings of Sport, featuring live audio wrestling's godfather, Nate Milton, The Sports Lounge, hosted by Cowboy and Cowboy Sr., often visited by special guests from inside the world of sports, as well as the NBA Team Podcast with Adam Murray and Andrew Reich for the deep dive into the world of pro hoops. As mentioned, all of these shows are available on placetobeation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. PTBN is also the home to tremendous in-depth features on pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, and more. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, Scott Keats RSPWFAQ.com blog, and Piledriver.net for their support. Chad, 
wrestling podcast to be informed by historical and analytical insight and by obsessive watching of footage from any era and any promotion and for them all to be available on one feed sure do parv chad are you ready to shill i am because i know you're talking about the pro wrestling only place to be nation podcast network let's go through that again pwo ptbn podcast network got it that's where you can listen to all sorts of different shows covering the history of pro wrestling in detail shows like titans of wrestling with my boys pete the man of a ten thousand discs and kelly the jobber lover i'm a job pro lover. wrestling super show with stephen graham join me stephen graham the smash hit wrestling game show brain buster with johnny sorrow we have a host of pop contributors like wrestling historian Chris Zellner. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Zellner here and starting a new podcast venture. And the pro wrestling only admins, the man who knows more about 90s wrestling than maybe anybody on earth, Charles and good old Will from Texas. This is Will, and I'm joined today by my good buddy Charles. Whether it's the territories, WWF, NWA, Mid-South, Texas, Portland, tag team wrestling, Japanese wrestling, oh, lucha, old it. school, new school, we got it. And of course, the feed still has the mothership itself, Where the big boys play. on which we continue our endless journey through WCW Supercards. PWO PTBN Podcast Network. It's pro wrestling only. You know you want to hear it. Yeah, welcome back from the uh, break. Um, it's uh, it's kind of weird. Like we're coming back from a, a break that we're on, Chad. Like our own adverts. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um. Okay, um, so Super Brawl uh, 2 uh, starts with Tony Schiavone and uh, Eric Bischoff, um, and uh, they have this kind of exchange here, Chad, yeah. where Bischoff um, su- supports, um, <laughs> he says that he thinks Sting has spread himself a bit too thin um, over recent months, uh, taken on all comers, whereas Luger's been rested up, so he's supporting Luger in the main event. Um, and uh, like then they talk about like the tag match where Tony supports Bobby and Arn and Bischoff supports the Steiners. I thought this was very choreographed. A lot of this disagreement <laughs> clearly like like designed to disagree here. I thought, what do you think of this little segment? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I hope Bischoff uh, doesn't go to Vegas anytime soon because his uh, thoughts as a progress- uh, pro- prognosticator were not very good here. Um, <laughs> Going with Sting, going with the Steiners. Uh, this this was a pretty hokey opening, I guess, where these two are kind of the host. I really felt like them just giving them two something to do, you know, do, during the show. I think Tony was pissed off for the shows like this, where he's like, I, 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 like we said, I can see like anybody that. I mean, I, I I think by this point I can be classified as a Tony defender. Yeah. Uh, for most of it, even into the later age uh, years. Um, but uh, again, I, I can see how he'd be justified in this, as we'll see in just a minute with uh, Ventura's entrance. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you want to get into that, but I can certainly see Tony being upset. Um, a couple of other little notes before we get to uh, aforementioned uh, Ventura entrance. Completely pointless uh, Missy Hyatt backstage moment. Yeah, she's been sputtering her wills since really the Paul E stuff died down. Um, another two years. Another two year contract for Missy. 
Yeah, I mean, she does move into the manager role. Someone uh, backstage really liked uh, Missy, because she keeps on, like, they really wanted to give her stuff to do. Well, I, I, I mean, I think she brings a dynamic that wasn't in the WWF. So from that instance, I mean, there's not... I mean, really... WWF didn't present anybody with the type of, I guess, sex appeal that WCW was doing with Missy. Um, but, yeah, still. It, uh, the one one little note I had, I think this is the only pay-per-view that's ever been on Leap Day. Yeah. That was weird, wasn't it? 29th yeah. of February. Um, yeah. And, I, and also, did you notice the backdrop behind Missy? I thought that was really high production value for WCW. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, the Super Brawl logo thing. At the big in. Super Brawl, it kind of looked like the uh, SummerSlam logo yeah, that would hide behind uh, Min Jean. But yeah, that looked good. But then, but weirdly, you know, I had it in the beginning, but I can't recall. I mean, I know for a lot of her backstage skits, she was at Steamboat's locker room. Yeah. So it's not like we saw it much. No, that was the only time, I think. Um, we didn't see anybody cut a promo in front of it. Um, it, yeah, but she did the two. I mean, she did the two skits with Steamboat in front of his door. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so yeah, it's like almost like forty percent of the time they went backstage with Missy, we didn't even see the logo. Like two out of the five times. Um, the uh, the other note I've got is that this uh, this venue looks great to me. Yeah, the, the Mecca. Uh, yeah, it's the Mecca in Milwaukee. I don't think there was ever another pay-per-view, but it is a cool-looking venue with kind of the pillars and stuff that you yeah, can see in the background. Cool venue. And, uh, well, as we'll get on to, a hot crowd as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, a good crowd tonight. I really like this uh, overall vibe of this show. Unfortunately, they remodeled or renovated, so it's it doesn't look like that now. Um, inside, but yeah, I thought it looked really cool here. That, that's something I really—I mean, uh, Kelly and I have talked about this many times, but something I really miss is the different feel of different arenas, because like yeah. everywhere just seems the same now, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think the Omni had that too. Um, yeah, me like the Omni definitely had that vibe as well. Yeah, you know where you, you get a feel for a place, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, now certainly if you're in Phillips Arena in Atlanta or Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, it feels about the same. So you know, People say the same thing about like other sports, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I, you know, the, uh, the old uh, Seahawks nest seems to have a particular vibe and atmosphere to me. Yeah, I mean, some of those, but uh, I, mean, I guess I, to me, baseball stadiums are the most distinctive. Right. The U.S. sports, I would say certainly basketball arenas are the least as far as the overall arena. They all look the same, um, don't they? Yeah, I mean, they're mostly just the same except for something like Madison Square Garden. Uh, yeah, I, 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 that would be with football in the middle. I have to say that where they did WrestleMania this year felt pretty unique to me. Yeah, I mean, that is an overall atmosphere I think was cool just from it being... Mostly, uh, I mean, it was almost exclusively a lighted show. I mean, it only yeah. really got dark halfway through the main event. It felt like really blue in that arena, like kind of. Uh, and some red mixed in. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was I, that gave a cool atmosphere. I thought. Anyway, um, Jesse Ventura. Well, Jim Ross is in the ring, <laughs> and he announces. He's so Jim Ross announces 
his broadcast partner for this evening, Jesse Ventura, who tells it like it is. And Ventura comes in riding a Harley Davidson. And I have to say, the Milwaukee crowd goes pretty nuts. For oh, God. <laughs> I knew you'd support this. This is massive, the most. <laughs> massive pop for, for Jesse. How ego driven was this? Fucking <laughs> 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 rides in on a Harley. It gives a cheap pop to Harley Davidson saying they're made in the USA. <laughs> and then takes some shots at Luger saying he's in hiding. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, then uh, we yeah. also get him name dropping um, where he tells Ross that if he had a cowboy hat, he'd look just like J.R. Ewing. Yeah. And then he says his initials are J.R. Yeah. So is that the birth of the gimmick? I, th- I think I think he kind of they didn't start calling him Jr. But that's sort of the genesis of uh, Jim Ross ever being referenced to Jr. But to- Tony calls him Jr. Like shortly after that, but I think like it doesn't kind of take off at this moment. But right. he says like if you put a cowboy hat on you, you'd look just like Jr. Ewing. So, yeah. That, and that is exactly what he'd do. He'd put a cowboy bat hat on and become JR later Right, career, so. <laughs> like six years later. But, so Je- Jesse, well ahead of the curve there. <laughs> he, he also gives a shout-out to the Crusher. Right, yeah, this is self-gratuitous uh, Jesse at his best here. <laughs> Crusher country, so there we go. God, I can't. Uh, him, seriously, him rolling out in that motorcycle was so fucking over the top. Like, <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> just so ridiculous. <laughs> What's wrong with the Harley? No, no. Well, he, he had the best entrance of anybody on the show. <laughs> like, who had a more grand entrance, maybe besides Sting, than this? Well, I think it's only fitting that you give your MVP a. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> It was pretty, like, you know, the heel commentator gets, like, a massive yeah, entrance. Yeah, I mean, I mean legitimately, I, th- I think Sting's the only person that had a better entrance than this, so. Well, anyway. But, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess the Freebirds got the uh, best entrance <laughs> at the last clash, so Jesse's lumped in with him. <laughs> um, so, anyway, it, it got a reaction, though, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, he, he got a good pop. I mean, I'm not saying Jesse... I mean, Jesse certainly gets a good reaction. It feels good seeing him there. And I think uh, this, is, this is AWA country, of course. And right. I don't know if that counts for anything, but uh, it seemed like this was quite like a wrestling crowd as well. Yeah. You know? yeah so, and, and, and it felt like a crowd kind of hungry. You know, I mean, AWA by this point was, what, about six, seven years from... Yeah. I mean, they were six or seven years removed from really kind of being at any semblance of their heyday. So this felt like a crowd that was eager to see, you know, a big show. I don't, I mean, WWF hadn't ran a pay-per-view there. Uh, as far as I know, I'm almost positive they hadn't ran a pay-per-view in Milwaukee yet. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this felt like a crowd that was hungry to see a big wrestling show. Um, so the first match then, the opener is of course Flying Brian taking on Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, and uh, I, just as we were going into this, I loved uh, Ross and uh, Jesse talking uh, strategy. They were really talking up this idea of uh, Pillman bringing his ground game. Like uh, this would seem to be like almost like an angle that they were working going into the match, and like he'd mentioned it in a promo or something. Um, 
So what did you make of this? Does it hold up, of course, this match? Um, big reputation. Yeah, so this is a match that has kind of been one of the more perplexing matches I've watched this year. Because uh, I watched this match with the top 100 countdown. And I gave it three and three quarters, uh, which I was the low person on that sh- uh, panel. Stingy rating. Right, and then uh, and then I rewatched this about a month ago when we first planned to do this show, and I liked it a whole lot more. Um, and then I watched it again yesterday, and I, I'm kind of in the middle. Um, so so I mean, you you have the uh, nice opening with Pillman taking advantage, head scissors, drop kick, baseball slide to send Liger to the outside. Uh, Ventura already calls that a cheap shot and wrestling cheap, um, so he's already on his case. Um, I think Liger gains the advantage immediately with a moonsault and a dropkick driving Pillman out. Uh, and uh, I think this is a cool match. It's, it's a back-and-forth match. I don't think there's any uh, notion that it's not to me. Uh, to me, it's it's a definitely a back and forth type match uh one of my main criticisms during the top 100 thing was i thought the leg work was blown off uh very easily um in rewatching it the past two times i don't think there's been as much focus on the leg as i thought in the first time i watched it but that does still bother me where you do get the sequence of liger kind of attacking pillman's leg and uh And doing the figure four, and then literally a minute later, Pillman's, you know, climbing to the top as fast as he can and diving off. And there's not a lot of uh, selling going on there. Um, I think the crowd dynamic is really cool here, where Pillman's kind of a babyface. Liger is a heel, sort of, but also getting cheers based on his moves. De facto heel, I'd say. Yeah, and, and there's not, there's, there's almost like even though they're cheering USA, USA, and stuff like that. That there's still a respect for what Liger is doing, um, which Jesse, I think Jesse brings even, an interesting uh, dynamic. Points that out, doesn't he? Yeah, right after he does that kind of, uh, he does the tease into the ropes and does the backflip and then kind of stands there. Um, Jesse mentions that you know when Liger first came out, the crowd was a little uncertain, uh, but now they're they're kind of understand like what he brings to the table um you had the surfboard i I thought the dive sequences are really good here where you have the uh, somersault sent on to the outside by liger then pillman comes off the top uh he suplexes liger the outside and then gets a really nice cross body Uh, so so this is kind of like your ultimate match one-upmanship uh, we get we get suplexes, another great crossbody, some pin and reversals. Pillman does hit the DDT where Liger had to grab the ropes. Um, I thought the superplex was really good here, um, and then Liger goes up, misses the diamond headbutt, and Pillman gets a unique kind of bridging pin uh, to win the match and win the light heavyweight title. Uh, I think it's a great opener. Um, I, I moved to four stars. On the match overall, I do think in certain circles it gets still overrated. Um, There's some rankings of four and three quarter uh, Mm. for this, and I don't really see that at all. 
That, that's Meltzer's writing into that. Right. I know, I know that's uh, Scott Keith. This is going to be an interesting show for ratings because I did my kind of cursory look and stuff's all over the map yeah, no, for I this show. Yeah, I as well for this show. Um, but, I, but yes. way higher than, well, we'll see. But I think the ratings are all over the shop. That There are some ratings from people on the board as well that are ridiculous, I think. But right. <laughs> we'll, 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 get, we'll get on to those. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so this one I got four stars. Great match, great opener. But um, even I mean, I, I think Orient Express versus Rockers is a better opener. So mm-hmm. up to this point, this is probably the number two opener in both WWF WCW pay per view history. Um, the the, uh, the Meltzer calls that pin, by the way, a Japanese rolling crotch hold. Apparently, yeah. So there we go. That's what it's called. Um. My my memories of this match were of being more of a spot fest than it was. Um, it's it's not a spot fest really. I mean, um, yes, there are lots of cool spots, but they did have kind of some attempts at storytelling. Um, I mean, admittedly, it's around that legwork that you were telling um, that you were mentioning, Chad, and it's a fair point that Pillman kind of blows it off a little bit. Yeah. But th- there was a, another story being told as well, though about this idea of keeping Liger grounded and then like clearly that game plan didn't work so then it becomes the game of who can who can do the cooler spot type thing um you know I thought it, it but it built well to that moment when they were you know that sequence where you get the you know the the um the clothesline from the top rope by Pillman was awesome I thought yes yeah that was cool um, you, you know when he jumped off the top rope and did that clothesline that's a, and then how many times do you see a suplex to the outside in 1992 you don't see that very much no. um, so I thought that was like I thought it built well and that the near falls were really exciting like the kick out uh, of the superplex was like you know I'd have popped for that in 1992 I almost popped for it when I watched it yesterday so um yeah, I thought this was a strong match. Uh, I've given four and a half. Um, if I gave the four and a quarter rating, it would probably get it, Chad. It's on the low end of four. Oh, I, I didn't know. So four and a quarter is not a rating you give. It's not a rating I give, but four and a, so four, it's on the low end of four and a half. Okay? I, I still haven't figured out officially which uh, quarter ratings you do allow and which you arbitrarily don't. Look, look Chad, I've explained it so many times. The four and three quarters I give, the four and a quarter I do not give. Okay? Got you. <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know, I thought it was good. Um I yeah. loved I loved the commentary during this match. I thought that Ventura, uh, like he continuously, he's very consistent. Continuously criticizes guys who take risks. He's like he should have gone for the pin. Why is he taking the big risk? Re- like I think this is one of the reasons why Jesse is the best color man because the an- the the analysis is basically correct. Like Pillman didn't need to be going for some of the spots he did go for. You know, and it helped with the story. It actually helps with the storytelling of the match, because you know when he then doesn't get the pin on an attempt like that, that was really good. There was also a moment where he was talking about um, necks, why wrestlers need to work their necks a lot. I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, so, any initial thoughts on Jesse here? Because uh, this was uh, like the second match we've seen him call. Yeah, I mean he was really good here. 
I, th- I thought they had a nice dynamic where he was giving credit to Pillman, but also putting over Liger a lot. So I enjoy that. So, uh, okay. Uh, four, I was four and a half, you were four. I think we're about the same, though. I, I, I do agree that the match is overrated. It's not a kind of stone cold. Like, I think it's. I also think it's one of those matches that, um, like. Obviously, if you watch this back in, like, like, 1992, it would have been, like, quite unlike matches that you're used to seeing. Right? Yeah, if you weren't getting Japanese tapes, um, I can see that. I mean, Liger, in this month, had a match, I know, with Benoit in Japan that I like more than this. Um, just right off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, if you weren't getting Japanese tapes, this was certainly a different interesting type match but um i mean me at four stars i kind of see this when i think about doing 1992 as a whole i see this as probably being one of the lower four star matches i have on the year so if i had to just peg it i would say it'll be like 75 or lower as far as overall matches um probably in the 75 to 90 range for the for the entire year so, which which I don't want to downgrade and say that I don't think it's a great match. I mean, I think it's a great match, but I also don't think it's like a surefire match of the year candidate, which some of the ratings suggest it is. I, I also thought that one other thing I thought was fun about this match was uh, Ventura was like clearly marking out at different point, like he was legit marking <laughs> out. I thought, especially for the uh, what, what did you call it? Somersaults. Yeah, that somersault senton that uh, Liger does the outside is like amazing. Uh, but that's that's just great, like fearless move that Liger can bust out every once in a while. I mean, I think Liger is an interesting character because I, I can see this match kind of perpetuating the reputation that a lot of uh, North American fans have about him, of him being kind of a high spot first guy. And this is something that me and Charles have talked about a lot on chat. But, I mean, Liger's best matches most of the time are more grounded in wrestling and storytelling. Yeah. And then mix in the high spots. I I do think this is more of a high spot oriented match uh, than his other kind of great cathedral mantle matches. Um, that like this match gets placed up there with some of his other stuff, like a top ten match of his career, and I think this has more high spots than some of his other stuff, like versus Sano in uh, 1990, uh, versus El Samurai in 1992, versus Otani in '97. Uh, but but yeah, so that's that's kind of weird that I I can see coming out of this match, you'd say, oh yeah, Liger has some great high flying high spots. Um, and can do some wrestling, but that's not really his repertoire. But that's not really the case when you watch him in Japan, I don't believe. No, uh, Chad, you're extremely high on Liger, aren't you? I mean, you've, you'd, yeah. like, you, you put him above on. Basically, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Liger, when we do the greatest wrestler ever, I'd see Liger's top 20. Um, Orange probably in the top uh, 40 category. Mm. Okay. Uh, so let's uh, let's move on because now it's Marcus Alexander Bagwell taking on Ted DiBiase, <laughs> the tailor-made man. Um, Meltzer describes it as a Ted DiBiase hand-me-down outfit. Oh my god! Um, I think it's the worst million-dollar man ripoff. Like, 
imagine like going to a fancy dress party with your friends and it's like let's dress up as old wf guys like the the level of taylor's costume here was like that basically it's like the it's like a the the dbrc costume your mate would make if uh, if you were going to a party or something yeah okay. i mean uh, yeah i mean you see the pictures at wrestlemania the guys dressed up as uh as wrestlers now and um that's what that's what terry taylor honestly looked like here i mean he dressed up as ted dibiase for halloween it, it suddenly just occurred to me though this was around the time that dibiase switched to the swank white I yeah wonder if, i wonder if taylor was the reason it's only just occurred to me that it could have been that he distanced himself from this nonsense by switching to the white wait well you know like vince is like a real like he gets obsessed with tiny little details right like no two guys in the company can have the same name mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that so I, I, I think that has more weight to it than you might think but yeah sure i can certainly say that um now <laughs> melter says that uh, Bagwell looked really gay. <laughs> okay. Um, if that is the correct adjective in that white outfit that was three sizes too small for him, which is why the crowd booed him. What did you make of Bagwell's uh, tights here? I didn't, I guess, notice them that much. Oh. I, I thought they made his uh, made him bulge quite a bit. They were like shades of like uh, David Bowie and Labyrinth here with the, mm-hmm. with his uh, um, with his package, as it as it were. Um, Jesse says he's pretty, but can he wrestle? Chad? <laughs> can he wrestle? Wow, this is, uh... Oh, first off, we missed Barry Abrams. We need to give a oh, shout-out oh, for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Barry Abrams, uh, from Syracuse University. <laughs> no, explain what this was. Well, I guess this was like a write-in, or I don't know if it was a magazine or a hotline thing, but he won a contest, and he got to announce this match. Um, so, picture in your mind, like, your stereotypical 1991 nerd-looking white guy. <laughs> Uh, and he's wearing a tuxedo jacket and gym shorts uh, and sneakers <laughs> and high white socks as he announces both guys in the most monotone voice. It's Terry Taylor. I mean, it is very just generic as could be. Um, and so as a result, he gets some pretty uh, big hill heat here. Yeah, he's booed out the building, isn't he? Poor guy cannot. Uh, oh man, yeah. What was it? Kevin Sullivan's son was the Sting lookalike winner. I think we yeah. can put this one, uh, chalk this one up into that as the uh, WCW contest winner. I, I actually, I actually love uh, not just wrestling crowds, but sports crowds in general. Always shit on stuff like this. Yes, yeah. Like <laughs> anybody that sings the national anthem pad or uh, something like that, a crowd can turn on you in a heartbeat. Um. Anyway, I, I enjoyed it. So yeah, yeah, this is good to go back and at least see this. This is pretty high comedy. Um, I mean, I mean, this match to me is like I, I wrote this down, but it's it's like your generic decent match, in my opinion. Um, Taylor games the early advantage with some punches. Uh, Bagwell gives him two atomic drops on the outside and clotheslines and back in. Uh, hits a good looking crossbody shoulder block by Bagwell and Taylor bells to the outside. Um, and then Taylor takes over on offense. I, I mean, he didn't do anything 
you know, groundbreaking, but I thought everything that Taylor did on top looked good. Uh, yeah. He had some nice knee drops and a suplex. He goes to the top and hits a splash of his on. Um, good bit of commentary, I thought, from Rawls talking about how Taylor was overconfident for not hooking the leg. Uh, and then I liked how whenever Bagwell would get like a punch in, like one punch in, Taylor would cheat either by raking the eyes or hitting a punch, which is an illegal move. Um, but then we get a quick kind of upset where a quick reversal and Bagwell pins him in a roll-up in a shocker, and Taylor gets his heat back after the match where he hits his five-arm and the uh, DDT. Uh, so, so this one about seven and a half minutes, and I actually kind of enjoyed it for what it was as far as, again, something with an upset and a story... I thought Taylor looked good on offense, which is not always the case. It seemed like he was strangely kind of motivated here. Uh, Bagwell still green, but was kind of in the right spot for most of the match. So I went two and a half here. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm actually with you, Chad. Um, they told a pretty good like master versus rookie narrative here. Yeah. Like, uh, and I think like the idea was like Taylor had asked Bagwell to be his tag partner, but Bagwell didn't want to do it so taylor wanted to like teach the young punk a lesson basically and uh, i thought he played that role pretty well like he was slapping him and lecturing him during the match and i thought that was quite cool um he also went through like his entire offensive arsenal in eight minutes which was quite fun to watch um i like uh, watching heels switch through the gears as you know um i did think bagwell's timing and execution was a little off yeah. Um, on on a few of the spots, like he was clearly like he's still finding his feet quite clearly. I think. Right. Um, yeah. He's not as good as I uh, remember him. Uh, well, at the, uh, I guess this was an off night for for Bagwell. I thought. Um, and I thought that the finish was unbelievable. Like not not in a good way. It was sloppy. Um, but there was some good stuff in there, you know. Um, yeah, this didn't have this sense of, I mean, like when one, two, three kid beats Razor Ramon, like you didn't get that here where you felt, oh my God, what an upset, you know? No, um, so, so anyway, um, two and a half, J- Jesse with two, uh, things that I like doing this one, he points out that, uh, punches are illegal in wrestling, um, which, uh, most people would do well to know, um, and the second thing is that uh, he mentions, uh, and I thought this was really old school of him. He mentions that Bagwell gets the winners, uh, the winners purse, the winners right, money. Right, purse and the money. That was good. What uh, what did Meltzer and all them give? Meltzer went a star and a half. Yeah, that's the same for Keith. So maybe we'll just we'll see if there's any discrepancy between them two. Um. Yeah, he didn't like this at all. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think I think this one is. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I thought this was pretty good, actually. So I don't know. Yeah, I was hovering between. Uh, I was hovering. I was thinking about uh, three stars at one point, but oh boy, yeah. But I think the sloppiness uh, kind of brings it down for me. Yeah, um, I, th- I, th- I mean, to me, two and a half is like your average match, and this to me felt. You know, you 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 hear average match and you get this one. So Missy Hyatt uh, is hanging around outside a locker room now. Uh, wants to get uh, talk to Luger. Bumps into Harley Race, who says a couple of things. Uh, not much to talk about there. I no, think. yeah, no. Um, 
Cactus Jack now is going to take on Ron Simmons in our third match. Um, and uh, I just got the note again. I love the idea of a place being called Truth or Consequences. That's such a cool name. I know I mention it every time, but bloody hell. Um, now, what did you make of this little match? So I'm interested to see what you think about this one, because I know you hated the Van Hammer match. Yeah. Um, I thought this was a good brawl. Honestly, it's short, energetic, fast start with Jack getting hung on the ropes. Uh, hard-hitting match, swinging net breaker and DDT from Jack. We, we do get the uh, ominous uh, shot of JYD in the crowd yeah. at this point. Um, a good like drop uh, by Jack, and then they go to the outside. Simmons gets rammed into the railing. Uh, Simmons does his second turnbuckle elbow. I thought looked really good. He fires away but misses a drop kick. Cactus gets a spine buster on the rampway. Uh, that got a big ooh from the crowd. Um, and Jack dives off the middle, middle rope back inside the ring, but uh, Simmons is able to reverse it for a power slam uh, for the win. I thought this was a really fun match while it lasted uh, afterwards, kind of the aftermath as you get Abdullah coming down. They beat up Simmons with his stick. Uh, as Jack puts the boots to him, but then JYD makes the save, and I gotta say, I thought the crowd really went kind of nuts chanting JYD. Yeah, he was, was over, wasn't I, he? I was very surprised by, um, which again, I thought maybe, okay, that's good from a short term, but I don't know from a long term, but when the crowd was hot here, as a match, I went two and three quarters. Uh, this only, I don't think this even went seven minutes, but I thought it was very energetic. A lot of good bumps. Again, I can see criticism that this kind of plays into the Cactus Jack critique that you can make for most of his matches where he really did too much for this being the third match on the card. Uh, he puts himself over in a big way and a loss because he had the more impressive moves and bumps here. Um, but but this was very entertaining just as a standalone match to me. Got to get that uh, fry, kip, fry, fry bonus, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, by the way, we um, Meltzer is at his uh, JYD hating worst here. <laughs> <laughs> Junk Food Dog came out of the audience and headbutted a few security guards who doubled his television genres and made the save. You'd be shocked at the pop that JFD got when the, fa- <laughs> when the fans chanting his name. He's dropped 61 pounds, although when the starting point is 346, that means there's still about 15 to 20 left to go. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> That's a fucking AIDS him, doesn't he? <laughs> um... So uh, a lot of my notes uh, on this uh, match had uh, revolve around uh, the commentary um, because it actually relates. I thought the interaction between Jesse and JR here uh, is an example of what I was trying to talk about before. Do you remember when I made my little response to Matt D uh, last time? Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jesse is on Ron Simmons in a heartbeat here right. for um, like basically being the first one, you know, he um he has a go at him like a uh, cactus this does this spot where he gets his neck caught in the ropes yes yeah he and does the noose spot J- jesse's on him for not like helping him out with the noose uh, basically and then he goes to the railings jr will not be drawn like clearly jesse wants some like some something back off jr here he's trying to do the whole you know look at those illegal tactics that the babyface is doing type thing 
JR just will not play ball. And this is what I mean. Um, like, Jesse's looking for kind of WF-style interaction. Like, he's obviously used to, like, Vince or Gorilla, like, coming back. JR, though, won't give it. He won't give it back. And it kind of leaves Jesse kind of, like, basically saying, are you going to play with me? And JR's like, no, I'm not. Um, so it kind of just makes for some slight awkwardness in in those times. I also thought that Jesse completely owned JR here as well because he kept on pushing this coherent and logical argument about Simmons being the guy who kind of put this match. You know, he was the first one to use dirty tactics. So when Cactus Jack did it, it was justified. And then Simmons goes back to the dirty tactics. So he shouldn't be a hero to these kids. And JR's got nothing. He's got like, so I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Like it's almost like when Jesse's putting forward the heel argument, there's no counterbalance there because JR is not willing to give anything back. So, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, um, I, I understand that. And that to me kind of, I, I guess, on some ways, I see that as a Jesse crit- criticism too. Um, as, as we'll get to later on in the show, I mean, he makes one mention of somebody cheating in one match in the Steamboat. I mean, Steamboat uses the leg, and he calls out a cheap shot. And then the main event, when Luger cheats, he says, "Well, when it all costs, you know." Yeah. Which, 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 on one hand, yeah, that's that's your heel kind of double standard. But also, I, I, I mean, I think the reason I'm lower on Jesse than most, even though I think he's really good is when he gets into these type modes where he just absolutely like railroads the baby faces. And even if you say, I mean, as we get with the Tony Jesse stuff coming up, there's a lot of times where Tony will be like, I think so. You know, I mean, and he'll be like, come on Shivani. Like he will not let it go. He will not let a point go. And I think, uh, oddly enough, that's why he's endearing to someone like yourself, Parv, and your kind of personality. But, uh... Well, he's... he's, I just think he played, like, okay. He's very convicted, but at the end... And it's it's almost like that person that you argue politics with that just has to get his point across. And it's like, can we just agree to disagree? That's sort of how I feel at points. I think... The, the issue here is Jesse can switch his game up, okay? He can be analytical, he can talk strategy, he can um, go to a kind of more like real sports, legit t- type thing, and he's clearly adapted his game very slightly to work with Jim Ross here. Jim Ross is just not willing to do the same the other way around. To do anything, yeah. So it's like, I see Jesse as being adaptable here. He's like, okay, I'll call this like serious action, but are you going to do any shtick with me? And Jim Ross is like, no, I'm just going to carry on being me. So I, I just see it as Ross being not very, like Jesse being versatile and Ross just refusing to be, um, which is why I, I maintain that the Tony partnership works better because at least Tony will react in some way to, to the bullying type of thing. So whereas, whereas Ross is like no fun, you know, that's, that's my, that's my view anyway. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Uh, I guess that could be uh, one of our things. Who do you agree with on this? Do you agree with Chad or do you agree with me? Yeah, because I, I mean, I think in the Liger match he 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 hit a good tinge, but here I I did think that it was pretty much you know 
Jesse thinking it was like 1989 and a Superstars match with Tito Santana out there. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the vibe I got, which, yeah, I mean, Ross isn't someone that's going to... I, I guess when I see Jesse do that, I always feel like he has a tinge of sort of wanting to put himself over to. And it felt like Ross just wasn't going to cater to that. Um, maybe for the detriment of the team overall. See, I, I, I think it's on Ross, not on Jesse. Well, I, I, okay, I, I, you can see it both ways, but I, I think it's on Ross. He has to adapt to the partner. Yeah. Um, and, like, he's willing to do it when he works with Corny. Well, he, yeah, I mean, he so. certainly does it when he works with Hayes. Yeah. So it's like, well, he's willing to do it with him, but he's not willing to do it for Jesse because he's a WF guy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so the, anyway, a decent mid card match. I give it two and a half. Uh, <laughs> so some some nice use of the ramp, I thought. Yeah, yeah, really good use of the ramp. Um, yeah, and I, I don't see it as necessarily a problem. Uh, what Cactus Jack was doing here, like I didn't think he he didn't do anything egregious. Um, I didn't think. No, uh, but it, it it almost. I'm watching this match. I was kind of taken aback. Where this was a pretty hot crowd, and we'll see in later matches bigger reactions than what Jack got here, doing a lot less yeah. actual stuff. And that kind of in this overall show, that was something that was sort of lasting with me. That almost and and yeah, I know you're kind of going down this. Uh, this uh, alley part of in your viewing where you're watching somebody like the Sheik. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I think there's kind of a nice lineage and you can compare and contrast someone like Cactus and his style of hardcore wrestling I, to what, you know. I, I actually think that, I mean, my, my honest opinion is, is that the Sheik um had way better psychology than Cactus did at this point in his career. Right. I, I don't know about later. I don't know about Foley later on, but certainly Sheik understood how to generate a reaction. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I the, agree. The, the, the problem with the Detroit stuff is that the booking is just horrible a lot of the time. Oh yeah, it's atrocious. So, um, but I, I think that he like he was able to. Um, get a bigger reaction by doing a lot less than like you'll never see the sheet get you know do that spot would do the new spot for example most of the time he's most of the time it's just about four different moves you know uh, in fact Abby's Abby probably has better psychology than Cactus too uh, that's an interesting dilemma um, but it, but that was just something I thought from this overall show um, just kind of the stuff that was getting a reaction that was a lot less physically dangerous uh, than what Cactus got here for his bombs. Um, oh, the, the one, the one, uh, the one little other thing I, I liked. Um, <laughs> Jesse was like, "Well, what business is it, is it of uh, JYD to come in here? Like, what, what, what business has he got?" And he was like, "You should be fined, suspended." Because he bought a ticket for the show and has no business like being in the ring. Um, Ross actually does try to come back on this. And then he's like, well, I don't care about uh, morals, Jim Ross. I care about technicality. So it's just like he'll adopt, he will adopt any position it takes to win the, win the argument, which is quite, uh, it's quite funny. Because uh, earlier on in the exact same match, he was, um, 
he was ragging on Ron Simmons with the dirty tactics. So he, he cared about morals in one. Like he is right. biased, like openly, and uh, I find the hypocrisy quite funny. Um, anyway, uh, JYD had lost weight as well, clearly. Yeah, he looked okay. I mean, he wasn't white, but he he looked better. It's uh, Vinny Vegas now taking on. Uh, we're tagging with uh, Richard Morton, and when these two walked out, I was like, "Who? I wonder who's doing the work for this team." <laughs> um, and they're taking on Van Hammer and Tom Zenk the Z-Man and I've written in my notes here Chad, suck squared yeah, not a, not a, not a great imposing team uh, coming out for your baby faces probably even worse than like if the Patriots would have showed up I reckon have you ever seen a lamer team than Zenk <laughs> and Van Hammer <laughs> <laughs> Hammer's still doing his uh, air guitar. Yeah, I don't even think he had his actual guitar here, did he? I don't remember. I don't recall it. Um, did you notice the sign in the crowd? Uh, by, a woman had a sign in the crowd saying, Hammer, you pound my heart with the heart sign. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's especially funny because uh, heart in uh, modern English chat is a, um, is a pun on vagina. Oh, <laughs> so, so, so that, that made it especially funny. Interesting. Hammer, you pound my heart. <laughs> um, what did you make of this? Well, we, first, and we also get Jesse's great line, um, where what do you say? Why is it when when Vinny Vegas go, comes out, he says, "Why is it that every guy no named Vinny wears the ugliest looking suits I've ever seen?" Yeah. <laughs> half a tube of cream in his hand um and then uh i guess when hammer comes out uh i think ross talks about him originally being a bodybuilder yeah or was it zinc one of them anyway uh (laughs) jesse then says he says we all know there ain't no money in bodybuilding and he bet the big guy Vinny knows that there was a lot of um Shots at like yeah, yeah, there's some shots across the bow there, Um, like against bodybuilding and steroids and stuff in general. Right, right, right. Um, so Hammer, uh, I mean, to me, there wasn't much to this match. Actually, we had a lot of tags, and this was the weakest. I think fairly easily. Uh, Hammer starts off with a power slam for Morton. Uh, Hammer dominates a lot of the match. Finally, Morton and Zinc come over. I thought Morton actually looked a little more motivated than we'd seen uh, in kind of recent showings where he bumped really well uh, during this match. But uh, not a lot going on. And then uh, and then we get Zinc getting the win with a sunset flip out of the corner, which three out of the first four matches on this show ended with kind of a roll-up variation. So that's kind of a played finish, and all three were baby faces winning. Um, so I did take notice of that. I, I gave this two stars. I thought it was pretty long, uh, I, I, which actually that may not be that bad considering some of the talent here. But I thought this could have easily been edited for the show and a few minutes added to a couple other matches, and it'd have been better overall. This is kind of the low point of the show for me. I thought this was a real oddball matchup, like weird mix of people. Yeah, definitely a interesting mix, just from the fact that Diesel t- 
teaming with Ricky Morton. Now, now do you know that there was two subs in this match? Um, Zach oh. was subbing for Johnny B. Bad, who was embroiled in a contract dispute and pulled from the card at the last minute. And uh, Morton was uh, a sub for Mr. Hughes. Um, okay. with the With the cover reason being that it would make it better. But actually, Hughes was pulled from the show as a punishment from some for some kind of uh, non-drug-related misdeed. So that's what that's what was going on here. So it would have been Vegas and Hughes against Van Hammer and Bad. So that's one of the reasons for these weird teams. Um, y- yeah, um, I thought uh, Melter hated this. By the way, he gave it minus half a star. <laughs> Uh, I gave it two stars as well, Chad. I thought it was perfectly uh, okay for what it was. Keith Keith gives this match three stars. I don't know why. Three stars? Yes. (laughs) What planet he's on. Um, Well, uh, I I did think it was kind of weird that everybody seemed to go over here apart from Ricky Morton. It was like Morton was there to make all of the other guys look better. Yeah, he was definitely bumping like crazy for the others. Um, I thought Jesse got on Van Hammer for his tights. He was like, like he was saying that uh, his pants were awful, which I thought was quite funny. Um, he then randomly started criticizing Jr.'s tie. Uh, that he was like, he was like the suspenders that Vegas were wearing reminded him of a tie that Jr. was wearing. Um, and then uh, he says that you know it looks like somebody threw up on it. Completely no sold by Ross. Didn't right. react in any single way. Jim just will not play. He won't play ball with Jesse. Um, and then there was a weird moment where the commentary team seemed to imply that Vegas was friends with Frank Sinatra. So uh, that was odd as well. Um, yeah, that's very odd. So, of course, Bruno Sammartino was friends with Frank Sinatra. Um, let's move on uh, to a grudge match now. It's Steve Austin and Larry Zabisco taking on Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. Just before this, we get a bit of Tony and uh, Eric Bischoff um, when they show the clip of the car incident again where Zabisco uh, crunched Wyndham's in his hand. I guess where that, that's where the cruncher name comes from, right? Right, uh, yeah. That's the uh, origin. I honestly thought Eric Bischoff was absolutely atrocious in this little linking segment. <laughs> like, he was terrible here. Like, he means, like Bischoff's bad it, uh, on this show in general, but... <laughs> yeah, he talked about how I guess he didn't see it coming or whatever. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. Certainly not great. So uh, this is a match that divides opinion, uh, uh, Chad. What's your view on it? Well, I'll, I'll just say this is one of my... Uh, if we're talking about favorite tag team matches, this is up there. Okay. This is, this is one I've really championed. I love it. I still love it. Uh, we get a pair of six to start, settle down a little bit with Dustin and Austin in the ring. Austin gets called on the way down with a top rope uh, with a lariat. And then kind of Larry and uh, Austin regroup on the outside with Medusa, but Rhodes hip tosses Austin back in. Barry club, uh, clubs him off the top rope, hits a nice drop kick. Uh, and then I love I love when a babyface does this moment where Barry throws Austin into his corner. So he has to tag in Larry, who he wants a piece of. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love when a babyface does that. Um, I, th- I, th- I thought I thought Wyndham. I'll just say I thought Wyndham was great here. Um, 
he hits a nasty DDT, gut wrench suplex. Uh, everything looked really great. Um, and then we get the Dangerous Alliance coming over with offense, where Austin sneaks in and clothesline Wyndham down. Uh, so Wyndham gets crotched on the guardrail. Uh, he goes for a charge and gets dumped. And Larry and Austin are really swarming. I thought their their work on top was really good, where they were very smothering and stayed on control, didn't waste a lot of time. Uh, swinging neck breaker by Larry. Dustin has to make the save. Austin hits a back suplex. Uh, Austin did hit on a headlock here, which kind of grounded the match a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then we get the hot tag to Dustin, who does a great sequence, I thought, with Austin. Then we get, I think, I mean, I think, I guess a lot of the critique I can see with this match probably centers around Austin. Yep. Uh, he hits the chin lock. He does the chin lock earlier, and then he has the clothesline, which he does three times to Dustin in this sequence where Dustin's the face in peril. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I see that, though, as kind of a good equalizer. I, I, it didn't get repetitive for me, and I can see that criticism, um, but I liked it here. I mean, I thought, I thought Austin was pretty clearly number four in this match. And I actually thought Larry and Barry were on a level of the other two. Like, I think you have a step up from Austin to Dustin. And then I thought Barry and Larry were just both great throughout this match. Where when when Austin's the face in peril, Larry keeps complaining about the count to the referee. And this is one of the spots I talk about where he generates more heat than, like, what Cactus Jack was doing. Because there's one sequence where he's on the ramp yelling at the referee. And then he turns to the crowd. And the crowd is just like absolutely giving him the business. And that's just him, you know, smacking his gums. Uh, but then finally Barry gets the hot tag and he does great cleaning house. We got kind of a pier six again. And he, uh, this is where uh, Ventura goes nuts talking about how he has no business using the tape fist. Yeah. And, uh, and then he ends up pinning Larry with a top rope lariat, which I thought was a great revenge spot. So, so this is a rating I go back and forth on because I don't think it's better than the Clash 17 match uh, for sure. But I don't think it's too far removed down that for a straight kind of southern style tag match. So I ended up going four and a quarter. But like I say, I love, love, love this match. Um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually in the camp of thinking it's uh, a bit overrated, actually. Um, and you actually hit on a lot of the. So th- so this is worked double heat, right? This match. Um, so you get the face and peril sequence on Wyndham, and then you get the face and Sarah peril sequence on Dustin um, that second face in peril sequence where, where it's mainly Austin working chin locks on Dustin really drives this one down for me like it, it, it makes the match go feel like long longer than it needed to be um, and like as I, I'd agree with you that Larry and Barry's interactions during this were really good and it actually made me think why didn't they make this uh, just a singles match between I think a singles match between Wyndham and uh, Zabisco would have been great here if like all of we would have got is that without the the Austin Dustin stuff um, like because I, I don't think they added too much to this to be honest um, so yeah I, I'm a little disappointed by this match Chad. I went three and three quarters which is incidentally exactly the same rating as Meltzer he went three ah. and three quarters on it as well um yeah, I, I mean, 
yeah, the, Larry was really good in this match. Um, I thought, and Wyndham was re- as good as we've seen him, Chad, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like his execution on that gut wrench suplex, for example, was great. Um, and his DDT on Larry early on, and like he was really good. Like he brought the offense, and but uh, in general, I was disappointed on it. Uh, and it was really Austin Br- brings just brings the match down. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, I think Austin probably in the entire Dangerous Alliance. There's certainly a notion from I know Charles and a couple others that Austin's probably your number five as far as a worker of the Dangerous Alliance guys. Um, I, I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, I really like him in the War Games coming up, but that we'll probably won't know for sure till we get to our TV special at the end of the year. Um, and and that, like like I said, I think I, I mean to me he he brings this from like one of my favorite tag matches of all time to what I think's a great match. So he mm-hmm. does drop the match for me, but I thought everything else surrounding it was so good that I, I still am pretty high. I will say he's a lot greener than I remember him, uh, Austin. Oh, he's like, he's he's very weird in that like. Again, like, I mean, we got to remember he was trained in 89, 90. Yeah. So he's put into a main event right away. And I think, of it, I mean, if you compare him to someone like Marcus Bagwell, I think he does a lot more versus the Adams feud than yeah. what Bagwell's showing here. So that really shows his potential. Then he also, I mean, he had the 15-minute draw at Havoc with Dustin, which was a good match. Um, It showed he could do some interesting stuff on top. I I don't know. The the clothesline, like I said, doesn't bother me that much. I thought the chin locks were the worst, to me, his biggest offense in this match, just because, um, I I mean, this is a show that has uh, three big tag matches on it, kind of in a row. We get three yeah. tags. Each tag is worked differently, and this is kind of your all-action revenge, uh, furious pace tag, uh, which is kind of a surprise considering what the next tag match is. But I'll get to that when I talk about that match. But uh, and him doing the chin lock didn't feel true to the narrative of the rest of the match. Of uh, I mean, I mean, even like their offense, like I said, they during the uh, Wyndham face in peril, they did a lot of good like swarming offense where they would sort of dive on Wyndham or you know club him or really stayed on top of him mm-hmm. uh, to give that frantic nature. Um, him putting the chin lock on Dustin felt like kind of like waiting out the clock. It it, it, it yeah. didn't it didn't fit. So that's that's true. Uh, d- now, uh, Meltzer does say on that point that Austin's timing is just incredible considering his experience. That's what, that was Meltzer's note on Austin. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I just wondered, like, surely this would have been better as just a straight-up singles match, wouldn't it? Why, why did Dustin Yeah, it probably, Austin... it probably would have, actually. Um, and you might could have done, because was Austin still TV champion? I think you could have he done was. Uh, Dustin versus Austin, and yeah, you know, yeah, you could have just done two singles. Drop done the like a tape. Drop, you drop could the match before this match. Oh, I will minutes. say when they did the offense, I did mention this, but when they start working over Larry's arm and hand, mm-hmm. I thought that was also great. I, I, I just to me, like what I look for in a babyface tag team, they did here. 
Um, just, you know, aggressive, but not, you know, still strictly a baby face looking for revenge. And I don't think that is portrayed too much, too well in wrestling history. I mean, I mean, most of your baby, like even your Rock and Roll Express, your Fantastics, I think those are really good babyface tag teams. But uh, Rock and Roll Express can do it too, and Fantastics can have some brawls as well. Um, but but it seems kind of rare where you feel like, oh, these are still the baby faces, but they're you know they're willing to kick ass. They're not just gonna like look good and do high flying moves and stuff. And uh, I thought that was portrayed well here. I think it helps that Wyndham can throw, like, you know, 50 varieties of suplex. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we, we quickly get to see uh, Missy Hyatt with uh, with a ninja now. Yes. <laughs> uh, she's hanging outside Ricky... St- we see, like, Ricky Steamboat doing some, like, weird prayer ritual with candles. Yeah. And, there, and there's a ninja. They said he was meditating, but um, it was it was a little odd. The whole, the whole ninja thing is weird, which we'll get on to. Uh, right. Who did Steamboat think he was? Well, I guess, I mean, there is some storyline that he had the ninja to protect him or something. But, uh, but yeah, we'll get to that when we get to the match. Well, did he ask for his CV? What does the, C, what does the ninja CV, like, what does the resume say on it? You know, uh... <laughs> I guess somebody just showed up in a ninja costume. Well, there's a, there's actually a bit of that. I want to get. I want to see if we. Uh, I don't, do we want to talk about this now? But because is this the segment where Medusa comes and the ninja chases her out? I think so. That's this segment. Okay. Yeah. So so we see the ninja run away. All right. Yeah. And then five minutes later, we see Paulie come out with the with the Arn and Bobby Eaton for the next match. Yeah. Okay. And then after that match, we go back to Missy, and she says the Ninja has regained her, his post. And that's after Paulie, uh, you know, got barred from ringside at the next match. So, so I guess my question is, do we think the ninja was the same person the whole time? Because, hmm. because you know, the ninja runs away, Polly comes out, but then he goes right back backstage. Then all we hear from Missy is the ninja has regained his post in front of uh, Steamboat's door, and that that ninja doesn't talk. We do get the ninja talking here a little bit. But I didn't think it was uh, distinctive that it was who ends up being the ninja in the U.S. Championship match. So what, you think they abducted the real ninja? I, I think they abducted uh, the maybe. real ninja, did pulled the switcheroo with the costume, and then the uh, the new ninja resumes his post in front of Steamboat's door. Yeah, because he did look noticeably fatter, the second ninja, so maybe. Right. That, that was kind of my... That, mm, you might be right. That makes it make a lot more sense, anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, clearly that first ninja, if there was a first ninja, was Jack Victory. I'm just saying. Just being <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get on to this tag match. Uh, yeah. Because it's something of a dream match on paper. Yeah, sure. You've yeah. got Arn Anderson, one of the greatest tag wrestlers of all time. Bobby Eaton, one of the greatest tag wrestlers of all time. Tagging together against... The Steiner Brothers, one of the greatest tag teams of all time, kayfabe wise, um, you know, for the tag title. So, pretty stacked looking tag match, this, in my mind. 
as a fan. Um, Kip uh, Alan Fry is barred. Uh, bars uh, um, Heyman uh, poorly dangerously from ringside. And um, Jesse is not very happy. Politics, how dare him, he says. Um, so there we go. And there's a lot of stuff about him ragging on the Steiner brothers for not having a, for having degrees. Um, he's like, he, he doesn't like the idea that the Steiner brothers uh, graduated. Well, this is, uh, I, I really can't wait to hear what you think about this match because I thought it was very interesting uh, the way it was worked. Uh, Paulie gets barred from ringside, flips his shit as we just talked about. Uh, Sky got a hot start against Bobby. Um, Arn, I mean, we say it every show part, he's so great entering the ring. Yeah. Kind of dictates the pace right out of the gate. Uh, he talks smack to Rick and goads him in, which I appreciated considering how much I hate Rick. He got outsmarted <laughs> immediately by Arn. Uh, but then Rick gets a quick uh, power slam. The crowd barks along. Arn retreats to his corner. I thought this was a weird match, though, in that I, th- I thought this match had a lot more of a deliberate pace yeah. than the previous one, which... You don't really think about with a Steiner match, um, and and I don't think these two teams really. I mean, there's the notion that Anderson and Eaton really don't gel overall as a team as good as you think, and I don't think these two teams matched up against each other really gelled for me as good as I thought they would. I thought there was way too much offense from the Steiners. That was uh, my biggest criticism, I guess. I thought the Steiners seemed to dominate a whole lot of this match up to the end when Scott got worked over, and that was something where, like in the Midnight Express matches, they would not have as much of the offense. But when they would go on offense, I thought they did a good job of evening the playing field by really attacking and having three to four minutes of really great action on top. And when Arn and Eaton did get on top in this match, I didn't think they did enough, really. Uh, I mean, we did get the rocket launcher, which looked sloppy, and a couple other moves, but uh, but I didn't think it was as impressive to where I still felt like the Steiners firmly controlled most of this match. Um, and then we get the finish, which I thought was... Uh, I mean, this was a cop-out finish, but... Yeah, if, dusty finish. Yeah, definite cop-out, dusty finish, where Orin gets powder from Medusa, throws it, in, uh, throws it into Rick's face, and then he throws the ref towards Rick. Rick does a belly-to-belly to the ref, Meanwhile, Scott hits the Frankensteiner on uh, Eaton, and another referee comes down, counts the pin. Steiners think they win the titles, but the original referee, which was Randy Anderson, ends up DQing uh, the Steiners for putting their hands on the official. All, all that said, I went three stars on this match. Um, which I, which I, I mean, I thought the match throughout its faults was good and had good sequences and action, but it's, it's the kind of match where, you know, going, it's a, it's a match to me that was, I guess, undone by expectations where I really did think we could see like a great four star match at points, just having these two teams. And I don't think we got that here. 
Meltzer went three and a quarter. Fair play to Randy Anderson taking the belly to belly suplex. He looked, uh, he took that move. Yeah, that was a sloppy kind of thing too, where Scott had his arms extended and just sort of slung him. Yeah. Um, and I thought I, it was a clothesline at first. I was like, no. yeah, yeah. Now, now this is an interesting ranking too because uh, Matt Pettycourt goes three and three quarter. Yep. Uh, Keith goes three, which is what I did. And then uh, Dark Pegasus, another guy that did a lot of reviews on 411, he went three and three quarters as well. And he actually only went three and a quarter on the previous tag, so he really didn't like it. Well, um, yes, I have a rather different view from from you, Chad. Um, And I'm higher on it than all of the above. Um, Because I like the structure of this one quite a lot. I thought the structure was fairly clear. The Steiners were in the ascendancy um, in the early going of the match. It was basically like, it wasn't just a shine. It was more than that. They, they, it moved into what I'd call control, um, where they were really like going through their power moves and things. But then the heels took over. Um, and I liked the way that this was worked. It was almost like, um, you know... Arn and Eaton saying we're not going to do a spot fest we're not going to do a sprint and it was like them saying it was like them basically forcing the Steiners into a more like structured match if that makes any sense um, like you know this was not this was much more of an Arn and Bobby match than a Steiners match I thought in the way that they worked it you know like you think of a Steiner Brothers match being like 10 minutes loads of spots sprint um, whereas here, this was 20 minutes. We're going to be a bit more methodical. We're going to work out with a, you know, kind of shine heat sequence. Um, yeah. So, and we got some like good spots. You know, the bulldog up th- off the top. I quite liked. Um, so I gave it uh, four stars. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it. I I I liked the, I liked what they did. Um, yeah, I do agree that the rocket launcher could have been... Even the commentary team picked up on the rocket yeah, launcher. Yeah, Ross mentioned that. It, well, I mean, Orn thought that Bobby was diving. So Orn lets go and then kind of has to do a stutter step and halfway sort of does it again. Um, that was just a minor execution thing. Um, I, I, I guess my biggest thing is, like, I thought the... Bobby and Arn looked really good in the beginning, but after that, I thought they looked a little too foolish. Right. Uh, where the where the Steiners were seemingly had their number at every every corner, and when you, you know you have Tony talking about these are the two greatest tag wrestlers of all time, it kind of uh, it sort of affected me. Where I, I really think the Steiners, I'd have to go back and watch, but just watching this match, it felt like the Steiners had like seventy percent of the offense. See, I, I and I, you know me, I'm usually down on baby faces eating up too much, much of the match. But yeah. I, mean, I guess the other thing you have to think of is they were going to do the dusty finish, and they need to put the, over the Steiners as strongly as possible. Yeah, that's that. That I think is part of a kind of a necessary evil. This finish, which was. We see a couple of finishes in the show, this and the next match, and I think there could be a divide where... I, I would say probably most people would say they hate both finishes. As we get to the next match, I think I'll uh, explain why I kind of like that finish, actually. Uh, but here, this one didn't work for me. 
I, I, I don't know, not too, but I wasn't too bothered by the, like, cause I, I don't know, I, I kind of expect bullshit, you know, so it doesn't really bother me too much. I enjoyed it more than the pre, more than the previous tag match, which uh, I think probably puts me in a rather large minority because I noticed this match was even left off the, year, the yearbook. They didn't even put this one on the, on the 90 yearbook, right? Yeah, this didn't make it, and I can explain that was because they didn't want the whole commercial tape <laughs> to kind of be on the yearbook. Um, right. I, I, I think on, like, a lesser show, this probably would have made it. Like, if this would have been on Starcade, it would have been on the 91 yearbook, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I probably liked it more than most. I'm probably, like, in the top. Uh, very, yeah, very I think, well, I, I know Marty watched this one and liked it but I don't think he liked it as much as you either but uh, yeah he liked it a good bit I think it's I mean I think it's a neat structure match it was just a match that and, and, and it definitely could be something where my expectations kind of dictate which I'm, I'm weary of where I hate like criticizing a match that I thought in my head I didn't get you know instead of properly rating the match we got but uh how many times have you seen the steiners work a match like this yeah the steiners were very deliberate here it it is a deliberate paced match um which is interesting but not necessarily something that worked for me i I thought that was odd and bobby leading them by the nose basically like they yeah i I, I agree with you that this is more of an arn and bobby structure match than a steiner for sure i just thought it it kind of like any critique that i have of arn which is minor because again i think he's top 40 worker of all time but the reason i may not put him in the top 20 is sometimes i think of his uh I guess, like, it, it goes into the heel shtick where, I mean, Flair begs off, but I still see that as Flair being, you know, kind of cagey and smart. Whereas a lot of times here with Arn getting his ass beat and getting thrown around and everything else with the uh, with the Steiners and in other tag matches, I see him as just kind of pinballing and doing his kind of, you know, dumb heel shtick. Right. Uh, and I thought we got a little bit too much of that here. So he is pretty. He's quite stoogy on his. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I don't see that with Flair. Right. So that's yeah. Okay. Well, um, why don't we move on to uh, the U.S. title match now? Rick Rude taking on Ricky Steamboat, and uh, and this Chad is one of my favorite moments in wrestling history. Um, and uh, fans of where the big boys play will have heard uh, part of this moment on every single show because uh, the um, where I'd like to have right now, you know, on the title uh, music yeah. track, comes <laughs> from Super Brawl 2. So, <laughs> so I, I had it in my mind all the way back when I made the title music. Um, what One of the best moments ever, I think. Rude can barely get through the opening <laughs> promo because the crowd is booing so much. Oh man! Have you ever seen heat like this? Yeah, there's this is some serious heat. Um, it's it's impressive to see for sure. I mean, this was a particularly hot crowd. I mean, we, we didn't mention it, but they were like popping like mad for Van Hammer even. Right? On. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, Van Hammer got a nice reaction. So, so I mean, they were just hot. I think uh, like did they got jazzed by the opener? 
and it put them in a good mood for the rest of the show, basically. So right. they were reacting to everything on this one. Um, you know, JYD got a big part, Van Hammer did. But, like, this heat was off the charts for Rude. Hey, how many times have you seen a heel be this over? I can't think of too many. Not, not in this regard. I mean, this is one of those rare instances where the crowd takes over, but it, it works tremendously. Like, literally, like, Hogan Bash at the Beach. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's some verse. I mean, it, I, I mean, I, I, it's certainly a photo in the cap of Rude, but there's a... I mean, honestly, a couple of years ago, Vicky Guerrero, one time she was doing her whole excuse me stuff and she couldn't get it out because the crowd was so, you know, over top of her. Yeah. Uh, so that's something I think about. Um, it, it's it's rare, but it's fun when you see it. Actually, I mean, I, I mentioned I've been watching original Sheik stuff. Some of those Detroit crowds, I tell you, were rabid. Like, I talk about heel heat. Like, literally, like, running to the ring, rioting type thing. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's especially one where the Grand Wizard almost gets mobbed. Like, uh, Sheik buggers off and Grand Wizard lays, like, left in the ring on his own. Um, <laughs> that is one of, like, he's called uh, Farouk, obviously. And uh, um, that that's something worth tracking down, actually, to, to see that uh, moment. Because you don't see too many times where the heel heat boils over. No. I, I want to say uh, Cornette in the Midnights on occasion in Mid-South got massive reactions like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's the uh, stuff from the AWA set where Blackwell's going to the back and he has to throw punches at the people in the crowd because they're yeah. going after him. Yeah, and the, guy, like, the, guy, the, the, announcer, the, uh, the announcer has to get on the tannoy. Yeah, he's, he's he's like wailing away as he runs to the back. So yeah, it's it's, it's interesting to see where a crowd gets that worked up. Yeah, there's there's a couple of times that there's uh, I mean um, I don't want to bring him up uh, yet again, but uh, of course a couple of the DBRC skits have got pretty pretty big heat on them. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch those, yeah, uh, not quite as much as this though. Um, so anyway, uh, this is a well. What do you make of this match, Chan? So this is a... I think this is a, a tailor-made match for us to, to watch. Yep. Because I, I see this as a throwback to the uh, to the 70s. Yes. You're, you're watching a lot of 70s footage. This felt like a 70s type match to me. Yep. Where... But not dated in that way. Where you, you have great heat great characters but then uh you know a great match that told a story uh but it really revolved around two wrestlers being confident that they could tell that story and get it across and these two guys do steamboat works over rude's arm um you know this is where he uses the post and jesse harps on him for doing that yeah uh, and and there's some really nice work on Rude's arm, and then Rude sells that arm pretty much for the rest of the match, I think. Yep. Um, where and and it's just it is a masterful, masterful, masterful selling performance by Rude, uh, where he sells the arm damage clothesline. He he does a clothesline with his left arm and completely winces in pain. Then he gets the offense again, and he does his hip swivel with one arm. Yeah, which was just 
so awesome. Um, and 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 the cool bit, he takes over on Steamboat's neck, which I I think could get understated. But remember, at the end of the clash, he gives the rude awakenings to Steamboat's neck. Yeah. Uh, so they had that story built in, and everything Rude does really attacks neck. We get a spinning net breaker. We get an awesome pile driver right on the neck. Uh, Steamboat fires back a little bit and get locks on a figure four. Uh, Rude cuts him off and comes back with a punch. Um, and then we get another great pose with an arm hurting where he does the flexing of the muscles. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, he only does it with one arm. Uh, Root goes up top and delivers another forearm that Steamboat's barely able to escape from. Root goes back to the neck with a camel clutch. And then we get that top rope superplex, yeah. uh, which to me is really in contrast to Jack doing the hangman noose and other stuff in a six-minute match. We'd had probably about 18 minutes of action yeah. Um, to get to this, and then uh, and then he does the top rope superplex, which looked fantastic. They show it on the replay, but they really bounce off the mat like it is yeah. a full back nasty bump, um, which was great. Steamboat makes his comeback with two clothesline insecurity, and Steamboat starts shaking his hips, making fun of Rude, which Jesse, of course, like goes nuts over. Yeah. Uh, big back body drop, and he does a cool uh, clothesline to Rude, who was sitting on the mat. <clears throat> and then we get the chop from the top from Steamboat. And so Steamboat looks like he's ready to, you know, hit his cross body, win the title, everything's good. He goes to the top, all of a sudden the ninja hops on the apron, pulls out a cell phone, whacks Steamboat with it, casually walk, uh, kind of saunters away, and then Rude pins him for the victory. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I'll just say it. I like that finish, actually. I thought it was a good use. If you do go under my notion that they switched the ninjas, yeah. that, to me, makes Steamboat look less stupid yeah. for having the ninja out there that he trusted. Um, so that makes good sense, and I think it was a good way of having Steamboat lose but still retain his heat. You didn't want either of these guys to job at this point. Uh, so otherwise, I thought this was a great storyline match. I went four and a quarter again. Um, and I know their Beach Blast match is hyped even more than this, which I haven't watched in quite some time. So I'm really, really looking forward to that one after watching this. I feel like this match is a little bit under the radar. It doesn't really get talked about uh, that much, um, this particular one. Um, I will say uh, Meltzer seems to be really, really low on it. Two yeah. and three quarters he went. Well, so so Scott Keith goes three and three quarters. Um, our boy Petticore goes four and a half. Yeah. So he's huge. But then, Dark Pegasus. Are you ready for this ranking? Did you look at it? No, I haven't seen Pegasus. Two and a quarter. Okay. Which is absurd. I don't Uh, understand that at all. Yeah, overly long, and for whatever reason, it just didn't connect. So, I I don't know. You can see Meltzer, he says, This was a 70s-style match. All the spots were perfect. 
there were some nice moves thrown in, but kind of slow pace since they were going. Yeah, that's all which says. I mean to me, that's 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 kind of your critique of you've seen. I mean, and I understand on this show you've seen more high-paced offense and stuff and action between the opener and the other tag, but. I, I appreciate the contrast. Even the Anderson Eaton tag match, which I didn't like as much, I appreciated that they did something different to contrast the tag before it, and See, they set out to have a different match, and that's the case here. I think Meltzer is just your basic spot. Like he is, he is not a psychology guy, Meltzer, is he? Because he never. Like, I, so, never... I mean, sometimes they, I don't know though. I mean, I can't. I can't understand not watching this match and at least praising the selling. Like, I, I if you think it's too slow paced and methodical, I would disagree with that because the storyline got over. But you gotta at least praise the selling and that they told a cohesive story here. Now, I have to say, Chad, this is so much better than I remember it. And maybe my watching of 70s has enhanced the match uh, in my eyes a little bit because I absolutely loved this. I thought it was tremendous. Um, Steamer working the arm early, he used the pump handle slam um, and rude selling of that arm, Chad. Like you said, it was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, but also wonderful continuity um, throughout. The, like they would, This is storytelling, right? You know? Yeah. Steamboat's gone after the arm, he's injured it, and that plays into the entire rest of the match. Um, then, I absolutely loved Rude's heat sequence when he took over. You got the hot shot on the ropes, neck breaker, which, injured the, which re-injured uh, Steamboat's neck, right. neck breaker, pile driver, back suplex. I've just written in my notes, that's classic fucking wrestling, that is. I love seeing a heel just, you know, go, he, he's working a heat sequence... And he's going through, you know, several... He's going through the gears, hitting those... All of those moves hit the back of the neck. Um, so great psychology as well. Um, and then you get, like... So this was, like, a really classic kind of structure as well. You got a shine sequence from a technical baby face where he's going to work the arm, and he's, like, Steamboat's going for this kind of technical match. And then you've got heel coming back with a kind of technical answer to that, with a with this heat sequence going through all of the different um, moves. Then there was a really neat hope spot where uh, Steamer hit a shin breaker into the figure four. Now, that seemed like it was going to be a comeback, but it was just a hope spot, and then Rude went back uh, to it, still selling the arm, and then we get a clothesline, forearm from the top, snap where clothesline, forearm for the, for the top thought that was a really good way of, of rude like re-establishing his dominance yeah. um after that like little hope spot then we get the sleeper stuff um a kind of like a stunner by rude or what do you call it a jawbreaker i guess yes yeah um superplex by steamer the kick out for that was a really cool moment because um, that seemed like it should have ended it very cool sequence uh there um, the standing drop kick by uh, Steamer was cool as hell. Uh, his flying clothesline um, looked immense when Rude was just, you know, like you said, he was just sitting, uh, he, he's sitting up, and then uh, Steamer hits that kind of low flying clothesline. Yeah, we got, yeah. We got we got a kick out for that. That was a cool moment. That near fall. Um, then we got a huge like front drop 
uh, I've called it. I don't know what you call it, but like kind of really good elevation from Rude on that spot there. The chop from the top and then the finish. I thought it was great, Chad. I really did. I, mm-hmm. I've gone much higher than you on it. Four and three quarters for me. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought it was tremendous. I honestly thought this would be a match of the year contender for me, without doubt. Um, yeah, it was, it was one I really flirted. I, 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 I'm, you know, when I go through 92 will be probably after we get to Beach Blast. I, I mean, I almost ranked this four and a quarter instead of four and a half because of the Beach Blast match, you know, which which I didn't I did want to say. I mean, I thought it's it's a great match. It's it's a definitely a low end match of the year candidate for me for sure. So, so what I'm interested by is where the Beach Blast can live up to this now. Yeah. Because I thought this blew me away this time, and I was like. This is really good. Like, very, very solid, committed. Um, I actually think that it was probably more of a Ricky Steamboat match than a Rick Rude match. But Rude's performance was amazing in this match. Like, his selling, um, the selling of both guys, really. The execution of Steamboat on that superplex that you mentioned, Chad. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I thought this was just world like top of the line world class work yeah that's one of the best superplexes i've ever seen maybe the best um probably from an impact standpoint so yeah and i i think i actually think the 70s style line is a little bit overplayed like uh i know um, pete, I, yeah pete, <sighs> pete mentioned it too but like literally what do we mean by 70s style that all that means is psychology all that means is is that limb work played a part and you know they built up to the finish instead of you know working as a working as a sprint that's all that really means yeah well i think the pace too yeah it's you didn't have any i guess i mean steamboat immediately kind of goes after the arm so you didn't get any like amateur wrestling in the beginning or nothing um I, I, it, it, to me, it did. This did feel like more of a throwback match. It doesn't detract it in any way, but I, I, I mean, I can't recall the last match like this that you saw in like a WWF ring. Yeah. So that just based on a time period. I mean, even. I, I mean, I don't even know, honestly, if, I mean, I think back when, maybe back when versus hard at Survivor Series 94, probably. I mean, I mean, so that's, I mean, because you think about, like, even your matches in recent vintage that I think you would like, Parv, like your CM Punk versus Daniel Bryan, right. they're certainly worked faster pace than this. Uh... But but I, I didn't think that was a detraction on this. I, but I can see people not digging this match because of that. I, I, I definitely can. But I do think the early arm work is a, is a standard 70s babyface trope. Like, um, you can imagine, like, Jack Briscoe working. Like hammering away, yeah. Like a very similar kind of early portion in this match. Right. Um, I, but I... That middle heat sequence by Rude, where he hits like those like three or four like fairly high impact moves in a row, mm-hmm. I I see that as a kind of eighties trope, like more of an eighties thing than a that than, than a you, you don't actually see that too often in actual seventies matches, because it would like if it was a true seventies match, 
you'd probably get rude replying to the early arm work with some like limb work of his own or something right um they didn't go like that far i guess is the point um but yeah no i i can i can see it i can see what people mean um but i guess it didn't attract any for me uh, no, yeah, I mean it didn't for me either. Like I said, I mean four and a quarter. Uh, I was divvying back with four and a half. I mean I don't see this ever being a four and three quarter match for me. I didn't think it was right at that tip tip level. Right. Uh, but but yeah, still really great. You see, I, well, for me, I would put it like so. Let me think of some other matches I've given four and three quarters to in recent. Well, the uh, the the Clash Seventeen tag match. Clash Seventeen tag match. I would put this up there with that. Yeah. The Jumbo Masawa that we mentioned. I would put right. there. I would put this right there with that match. Um, like you know, in fact, I've given four and three quarters quite quite a few times on the All Japan. Yeah, know, yeah. Some of those series. that Baba tag. I love that bar. That was amazing. That match. Uh, <laughs> but like, I would, I would put this right there with any of those. Yeah. Um, you know. So, uh, like, I'm not like I don't. I think I'm fairly consistent with 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 the way I rate. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, you know. everybody has matches that they really connect with. I mean, I mean, of that batch you ma- uh, that batch you mentioned, I put that with the. I put the steamboat rude match with those matches too. Just. For comparison, where you went four and three quarters on those matches, I went four and a half, with the exception of Clash 17, which Clash 17 is kind of like how you are with this match. I'm with that Clash 17 tag, where right. you know I'm just over the moon for that match too. So, so but I was actually surprised because this was so much better than I remembered it. Yeah, uh, and I can't, I can't see even like I said, if you think the pace is too slow, um, I, I still can't see not praising the uh, storytelling and selling. So yeah, it's it, not, like masterful from both. It's sides. certainly a match you should admire, even if you don't necessarily love. So so anyway, uh, we have the main event now, uh, right. almost as an afterthought. I would say it's Sting taking on Lex Luger for the title. Uh, Luger, who nobody's seen for a month, right? Nobody's seen since the clash. Been in hiding. He's been in hiding. Oh, just one real quick thing. You know that ninja stuff with Medusa and whatnot? That was uh, actually taped earlier in the week, Uh, even though it seemed like it was live. It was actually taped earlier. So just an interesting little tip here from Meltzer. That was weird. (laughs) Uh, I don't know why they do that. Um, But anyway... Um, maybe Jack Victory wasn't available. Well, she was wearing the same dress, too. I know. Yeah. Weird, isn't it? That's um, weird. So anyway, uh, th- this is for the title. Nobody's seen Luger for a while, and he comes out weighing almost 300 pounds of pure muscle here. Yeah. He's absolutely fucking enormous. What's happened yeah. to him? Yeah, he, he definitely uh, cycled in for his big departure here. I, I don't I don't know. I mean, he was completely gassed here. He's making a mockery out of Kip Yeah, I, I, I can't. I can't. I don't think you can say it any other way than he was just roided up here. To the gills. Yeah, right to, to the, the max. Absolutely. This is probably the biggest Luger's ever been. Yeah, I, I don't think he ever looked this, like, big and bulky and just huge again. No. Because even when he debuts as, like, the narcissist, he's, he's a little more leaner. Yeah, it, it, this was pretty, just ridiculous. Yeah, this was just completely And even jacked. the commentators couldn't... Yeah, like, I mean, they, you couldn't ignore it. So it was something. Yeah. 
Um, so, Luger has probably got some ring rust coming into this one. Yeah. Um, like, seemed to me like he was blown up almost before the match even began. Uh, what did he make? We have defended Luger to the hilt, you and I, Chad, but is there any defending Luger in this match? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I actually like this match more than I thought I would. Okay. Uh, I, I'd seen this match before, and I uh, I don't think it's good. But and it is anticlimactic after you've seen this whole show. But I, I did again think they worked a different style match, which I appreciated. Where uh, they have this big stare off, and then they kind of do this battle of the titans lockup. Uh, Luger hammers Sting away, sends him into the stump, uh, turnbuckle. Uh, Sting got an early Stinger splash, but Luger pretty much no sold that and charged out with a clothesline and got a huge pop. Actually, Can I just say, crap. what a clothesline by Luger there. That was great. I thought that was great. Uh, he goes for the power slam and uh, gets a power slam, and then he goes for the rack. And then Sting get a German suplex, yeah. which was surprising, and then hooks the torture rack himself. So I, I, I loved that sequence, actually, and I thought it was great showing that this was a different style match from what we just saw, where they were going for broke, throwing bombs, Kind of your Clash of the Titans type match. Uh, Luger sets his head and Sting hits a jumping implant DDT, which I thought looked good. Uh, Race to strike Sting. Luger tries to drive him into the guardrail, but Sting returns the favor. Luger rakes the eyes, and this is where Jesse commends him for cheap uh, for for uh, yeah. cheating when earlier he was chastising Steamboat, but whatever. Uh, and then Luger kind of, kind of. this is where I thought the match took a dip, where Luger took over. Uh, mm. He didn't do a lot. He, he hits his attitude adjustment, but it was executed sloppily. Jesse even comments that. Uh, Sting kicks out of that, and then fairly quickly Sting makes a comeback, uh, and then we practically like race into the finish where out on the outside race tries a pile driver on sting he gets back dropped sting hops up on the top rope hits the crossbody from the top for the win which actually i thought was kind of cool considering what happened in the previous match where uh you know paulie got the steamboat as he was presumably going for the same move here sting's able to hit it he wins the title. I thought this got a good pop, a good celebration. Uh, I went two and three quarter actually on this match. Um, I, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was good for the thirteen minute Clash of the Titans style match. Luger on offense was not great. Luger was moving certainly slower than he has, but I I didn't think it was as bad as maybe reputation has perceived it to be. Star and a half from Meltzer. Yeah. Um, I thought, I mean, there were, we got a jumping DDT by Sting at one point. Right. That's quite a cool spot. I thought this is actually some of the best we've seen Sting, Chad, of all things. Um, Sting seems to be upping his game in 92 now, uh, it seems to me, after really not being very impressive for the past two, two three years. I think Sting is like finally like coming into his own as a worker, it feels. <laughs> Like he his he was his offense was really good on the, in this match, like some new stuff from him, um, uh, you know. So he was good here. 
the, the problem with this match is that Lex just doesn't seem like he cares. Like, yeah, I definitely really think. I mean, Lex is ready to be on his way out for sure. He has he tapped out here, and he is—he's also like so visibly blown up that he's literally like blowing, like he—he's literally <laughs> like breathing so hard that you can see him kind of sucking the air. It's like it was embarrassing. Like even the commentators are like, you can see the sweat dripping off him. Yeah. <laughs> And um, Jesse did say that coming in. He was like, Luger needs to take this quick. It was kind of like a Mr. T, Rocky Three narrative, you know? He right. needs to win quick because he, do- he doesn't have the, the gas to go. Um, so it, it is a bit better than, like, I gave it two and a half, Chad. Yeah. Uh, you know, it it's good enough, but I think a motivated Lex Luger in shape, um, like the Lex that we saw in, like, mid-91... This could have been a classic. Yeah, this could have been uh, flirting with probably four stars, too, if they could have straight. I mean, it could have been a better Hogan-Warrior match, to me. That's kind of what they could have went for. Sting had his working boots on today, and if Luger had come, it could have been really good, I thought. He he obviously, Luger, was just not in no shape to have this match, really. Like, Like, a combination of ring rust being, like, way too heavy... Um, being blown up or, or, and not caring all of the above so right. anyway um, main event aside this is a pretty solid card isn't it oh yeah I think this as we'll go through right now I think only to me Green American Bash 89 and maybe Clash of the Champions 1 are the shows that are better than this for sure. Uh, maybe, how? I mean, I guess Halloween Havoc 90 is an interesting show. Because Halloween Havoc 90 has the Steiners versus the Nasty Boys and the opening tag with uh, Rich and Morton versus the Midnights, as well as the Doom tag team. I need to remind uh, myself of that one. Oh. Yeah. Um... Mm, I would put I would put this above. Them. I think I'd put this one because it doesn't have as much crap. I mean, to me, the worst match here was the Vinny Vegas tag. That I had that oh. at two stars. Everything yeah. else was at least two and a half or above. I had three matches at four stars or above. Um, I think this is the second best card after Great American Bash eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah, I'm in the same boat actually. I think I like this a little better because you know Flash we, one. like neither of us like. The Sting Flare match. That yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, Class One has a four and a half star tag match with the uh, tag title switch, and then the Midnight's Fantastics. You know, that's four about four stars. But yeah, Sting Flare for both of us is nowhere near five stars or whatever. I wouldn't even put it at four stars. So, no, I, I really like. I mean, even though I'm lower on that uh, Austin. Um, uh, the, the Austin Larry versus uh, Wyndham tag, I still recognize it as being a pretty solid match. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I guess your rankings, you have four matches at three and three quarters or above, yeah. and a four star, four and a half, and four and three quarters. So that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, uh, yes. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was I really think, high on this card. Yeah, I think once we get through all our shows, this. This will hold up as one of the better WCW pay-per-views of all time. Just kind of going through the yearbook years that I went through, 
and knowing the cards coming up, I, I can see this being like a top five show we do. I mean, one of the things, I just absolutely love the WCW roster around this time. You yeah. Know? Uh, like, and the feel of the place. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got Jesse there as well to make things more fun, and right. I don't know. Like, I'm a mark for this era in general. So. Yeah, this this show has a unique vibe. Um, a lot of different stuff going on. So to me, it's a really quick watch. I think that helps this show. Like, I, I watched the show in one sitting, and it's three uh, hours long. Mind. Yeah, I mean, it's two hours and forty eight minutes on the network, and it really blew away. Like, I started it yesterday morning, and. You know, it wrapped up right as uh, Caden was getting up, and I was blown away that, oh, yeah, the show's over. You know, when, when, when Sting and Luger roll out there, it's kind of surprising that, oh, yeah, we only got 20 more minutes of this thing. So uh, let's, uh, let's go through the awards then, Chad. Um, match of the night. It's mm. obviously clear for me. Yeah, clear for you, and it's a, a battle for me, but I am going to very so slightly... Uh, nudge ahead with that tag match with uh, Wyndham and Dustin versus Austin and Zabisco. Well, I'm clearly going to go for Rudin. Very <laughs> close. And I, and I will say, I mean, yeah, that kind of shows this card where, to me, Pillman and Liger's number three. Like, that's going to be... Oh, I, I even forgot about that match. That's how good this card is. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's going to be match of the night for me on a lot of these shows. Well, any other any other night that would be match of the night, but it's not. It's probably in third place, not fourth, third place for me. Yeah, third place for both of us. Hmm. Okay. So, what about MVP, Chad? MVP to me is tough too, because again, I want to give an honorable mention to both Larry and Wyndham, and I think even more than I mean, because in '91, you know, like War Games, like I wouldn't say Pillman versus Liger was better in War Games, so that still would have been match of the night. Uh, eh, some of the other shows, it still probably would have been match of the night, but but so Wyndham and Zabisco are not going to be my MVP. And I cannot think of hardly any other shows in 91 where those two wouldn't be MVP. Someone like Arn, who I thought was good in this match, but he did do some of his stooging stuff, not even in consideration. Uh, Pillman and Liger really signified themselves. I didn't even consider them. Uh, Steve, great selling performance. He's not going to win. Sting, like you said, some of the best Sting we've seen, he's not going to win. I went with Rick Rude, uh, and I thought he was absolutely fantastic from the moment he walked out to the moment he walked away. Absolutely agree, uh, Chad. I couldn't have said it any better. Rude was just phenomenal selling performance. Uh, The the pre-match promo... Um, his just the way he worked that match. Every everything about it was uh, great. I mean, that, if that's not Rude's career performance, um, it's got to be damn close. Yeah. Because I can't recall a time where Rude was better than that. Yeah. Um, to me, this is one of our strongest MVPs that I've given of the shows we've done. Yeah. Like I put this up MVP. there with the very strong flair MVP votes I've given of I mean, Funk the- and. I've said before that Rick Rude in 1992, you could put his 92 up there with like most people's. I, I, it's actually better than, like now we've actually come to it, he's even better than I recall. 
which is uh, interesting because usually when you have when you have somebody that high they don't live up to it but he's actually exceeded what where I had him already so that's kind of surprised me a little bit that he's been as as good as he has because mm-hmm. um, I was expecting Rude to be like all chin locky and stuff which he can be at times but yeah we see that later in the year but yeah. not right now um what else uh oh yes Billy Graham award yeah, Billy Graham which I think is tough here but um I'm gonna go with Steve Austin, I guess, which I don't think has ever happened where I've given the Billy Graham to someone that's in my match of the night. Um, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I mean, I think you could give it to somebody like Bagwell, or you could give it to uh, you know Zinc and Hammer. That seems a little too easy. Uh, I, I will go with Austin only because, like I said, I thought that that took a he put that match if if he would have been great in that match i see myself giving that match possibly four and three quarter stars that's how highly i like the way that match was worked with the baby faces and zabisco getting the crowd riled up like that's a match where if his performance would have been close to matching everyone else I can see that being right up there with Clash 17, where I call this, you know, one of the best uh, U.S. tag matches of all time. So that's why he's getting my award. Um, well, of course, there's Barry uh, Abrams we didn't mention. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good sneaky uh, village crown. <laughs> but uh, I'm not going go to go to <laughs> I a Bischoff had a terrible night. Jesus. Um I very controversially for where the big boys play, and uh, I hate to do this. On the oh, out. yeah, I know where you're going. That's not a bad pick either. It's it's Lex Luger. Yeah, Lex Luger was pretty. And, uh, he was one step out of the door. Uh, for sure. And I'll tell you why. That was a guy working at less than 25 percent of his capacity. Like we've seen what Luger's capable of, and he was so far from his best here that it was like almost like sad to see. And if you remember where the Billy Graham Award comes from, uh, Chad, um, I think it's really in uh, in kind of in the spirit of seeing like Billy Graham back in like 1980, <laughs> 1983 or, you know, doing the ninja. Which is kind of weird. I mean, because I have seen Luger have some good performances in WWF. Well, I, I think he must uh, drop. I, I think what actually Luger was doing, he was bulking up to go to uh, WBF, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, the world body. Yeah. And clearly he slims yeah. down again when he when he comes back as a wrestler because yeah. this was just like, you know, it was bad. It was just bad to see uh, somebody who I really like and rate as a worker be so under what he's capable of so that was my that's yeah my that's reasoning. a good pick i may want to change mine i'm gonna stick with austin but <laughs> good one. so where are we going next is it the new japan uh... yeah we'll watch the new japan show which actually happened a month and a half or two months before this show but that'll kind of give us a good breather um and then we can go that's that's not really i guess much of a storyline progressive show uh it'll have some different names that we can talk about and then right after that we go right into wrestle war 92 which is another one of these you know iconic wcw shows that when's the next clash then the next clash isn't till actually i think june it's the it's the nwa tag tournament they took a big space oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah About a six-month window for the Clash, so that's uh, three shows away will be Clash. 
Well, great. I, uh, I look forward to the new... I, I don't think I've ever seen that New Japan Super Show, so... I've only seen the stuff that made the yearbook. Um, so I, I saw that on a, on some YouTube, but yep, that's it. Okay, well, join us then. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.